Ancient gods, identity issues, and groovy werewolves. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or a TV show and then quizzes another comedian. This one is a Marvel expert. This one was taught to read with Marvel Comics. Hello and welcome to the First Look Moon Knight episode. My name is Rob Holden. I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. I'm a Marvel expert. Let's, I mean, let's not mince any words about it. And I'm joined on this Marvel journey by the man that makes it all possible because he is powered by ignorance, soon to be a an exclusive T-shirt. It's Mister Well Preston. Yeah, I can't wait to be an exclusive garment. Uh, life will improve once I'm a hundred percent cotton. Listen, man, we got these T-shirts coming out, and not yeah. everyone's going to know this, but we have. We've got these T-shirts coming out, coming out soon. Uh, we've got new sponsors and all sorts of cool stuff to educate yourselves about, and we let you all know about this. But our two T-shirts that are coming out, one is a cool logo, and the other is your catchphrase, man. That's the big star level. You're becoming an official T-shirt. I am going to be becoming an official T-shirt, and I will be that sad, pathetic man who wears his own merchandise. Oh, 100%. 100%. That's how to do it, man. I know. You've got to wear that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we've mentioned this before on the, on the main show, um, but Marvel versus Marvel MVM t-shirts coming very, very, very soon, courtesy of our new sponsors. So we've got loads of details about that, uh, which we'll be sharing with you very, very soon. Um, maybe this episode, maybe next episode. Uh, we're going we're gonna to let you But coming up on this show... The Coming full up. and convoluted history of Mark Spector, Moon Knight. We explore his powers. We explore his personalities, plural. His retconned origins, plural. The voices in Moon Knight's head and his connection to Batman. It's all right here in this episode. Don't go anywhere. It is our very first first look episode. Last year... Through the marvel of Disney Plus TV shows, we were able to take a deeper dive into some characters like Wonder and, and Vision, like uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier, like Loki and Hawkeye. This year, it's all changed. It's all different. We're not taking a deeper dive into the MCU characters we know and love. This time, we're taking a first look at some new characters through the Disney Plus TV show. This is our very first one of that ilk. I'm very excited. Will, are you excited to get a first look at Moon Knight? Uh, yeah, incredibly. Uh, I've, I've been intrigued for quite a while by Moon Knight, just, just from the sheer weirdness of the name. Of the name, yeah, the I, weirdness of the name. It's it's a weird name, Moon Knight. It's a catchy name. This is such a honestly, that's such a huge part. Of what we're going to talk about. We've got so much, guys, so much to dig into. Mm. I don't think I have ever done more research and and and, and research reading and note taking than this episode. Maybe the Superman episode. Um, there is so much to get into. This is not a simple character. This is not a simple origin. It's all here. Um, speaking of someone who's also all there, Will Preston, you're more here and there than almost anybody else on this podcast. I uh, am out and about on the podcast. You're out and about, not just on the podcast, you're out and about treading the boards, getting to them giggle shacks. Uh, if people want to come and see you do your stand-up comedy in person, where do they go and what times and how? 
Okay, well, I'll give you some dates. Uh, Wednesday, the 27th of April, I will be at the last Wednesday Club at Off-Broadway in London. And on the 28th, Thursday, 28th of April, I'll be uh, a place called Open Mic at Free Cockerel at the NMCC Sports Bar in... Uh, it says Summerlees Road. I can't find the there. I think it's Maidenhead. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> about that. And I'll be on Sunday, the 1st of May, I'll be at the Playwright in Nottingham with Andy Zapp and Thursday the Ooh. 5th of May I'll be uh, I'll be with John Robertson at Comedy Net in the Urban Lounge Ooh. in Norwich that's right I'm driving him up there <laughs> and if you want to see my solo show and are in are in or near Brighton that's Brighton I'm doing my solo show Will Preston can't face reality at uh, Brighton Fringe Caxton Arms on Friday the 6th and Saturday the 7th at 6.45pm <coughs> and last of all Monday the 9th before I go to Germany for a bit uh, I will be at So Far So Funny or Sofa So Funny uh, at St Christopher's in uh, Hostel London uh, in London Bridge so check me out then you're, uh, if, you, if you get the chance, if you're in Brighton, if you're near Brighton, the Brighton Comedy Festival is an incredible, fantastic kind of like mm. wonderful social entertainment and cultural experience. It, I really highly recommend it. And also Will Preston's show, Can't Face Reality. I mean, it's a show I know really well. We we kind of worked on it a little bit together. I I um, kind of ran through with Will and, and uh, I've been to see it as well at the Leicester Comedy Festival. So if you are anywhere near Brighton, I really highly recommend getting yourself down to see mm-hmm. uh, Will Preston Can't Face Reality. Let remind us of that one again, uh, Will. Where do we? What's the the Brighton Festival? Um, Brighton Fringe, uh, Shebang, Brighton Fringe, Brighton Fringe. Uh, what do you mean? Okay, it's the Friday. The dates and all that. The, yeah. the dates again. Friday because people do not have rewind buttons that they're illegal. Friday the sixth and Saturday the seventh. Uh, of May 6.45pm both dates uh, it's free Ash. entry at the Cla- at Caxton Arms that's near the train station guys near the train station get yourself to that one I can speak very highly of that um, and uh, if you're anywhere in the country and you get I mean you go see him in, in, in Germany if you're in Germany he's not doing any dates but just track him down Go and find him and uh, make him tell you jokes. That's what I recommend. Not going to tell you where in Germany I'll be. It's a big country. You do your homework. It'll be like a geocaching thing. We'll <laughs> <laughs> leave little things around and our German fans can, uh, can find you there. Join me now for a trip into the uh, the muggling mind of a man who's never read a Marvel comic book before in his life. A man that represents the vast majority of Marvel fans these days. Vast majority, overwhelming majority of Marvel fans, they love the movies, they love the Disney Plus shows, they haven't read a Marvel comic book before, and that's why Will Preston is here to represent that, you know, a majority of the uh, the spectrum. So Will, had you ever heard of Moon Knight before this TV show was announced? Uh, yes, only through memes. Now talk us through that. You, I know you're 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 big into kind of like mean groups, and uh, I, I hesitate to use the word culture, but kind of memes on the internet. What what are you seeing? Like like what what, what are you talking about with these Moon Knight memes? Well, basically, sorry, I'm st- don't ever sarcastically refer to memes as non-culture. <laughs> you pile of crap. <laughs> well, not, you know, it's just in jokes. We've all got in jokes. That's all it is. 
Yeah, it's not in a real jo- comedy. In jokes are fine, especially when they evolve into something crazy. That's what we live for, guys. But I knew about Moon Knight memes when he just pop up and 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 people would put uh, bizarre stuff of him saying stuff that wasn't in the comics. And then I then so then, like, what, okay. what you're what you're talking about is they take a panel from a comic book and they white out what the character actually said. And people type in something wacky and hilarious and off the wall for him to say. Essentially, yeah. And obviously, after I finished giggling at what was said, I looked at the character and thought, who is this guy? He looks like most of the DC characters rolled into one. In what way? I was thinking like a bit of Batman, a bit of uh, Green Arrow with the hood. And then somehow he's white oh. or something. I don't know. I, I, uh, that's two DC characters, one of whom I'm not so au fait with. But, uh, yes, I suppose very modern Moon Knight has a hood. Yeah. Did he not it, always uh, have well, a hood? Very, various times he has a hood, yeah. Um, that's, yes, that's wild, man. Um, yeah, what did you think? What, like, like, what, did you, what was your opinion? Like, what did you think of that then? I looked at him and went, "What is going on here? What he looks mystical because you know he he's completely white, so he's like a ghost. Because no one uh, who fights crime or has adventures manages to retain white clothes that clean." <laughs> well, that's really interesting that he looks kind of on the spooky spectrum. Yeah, right from the get go, spooky spectrum, um, the spooky spectrum, the sp- and we've spectrum. got like we've got some of that. Um, some of that to come to, to we've got we'll dig into that um, because those are his origins those are his roots yes so looks a bit like Batman Green Arrow Hood has a spooky vibe funny memes <laughs> funny memes um, which of course happened to a lot of characters it happened to um, uh, Luke Cage and, and some other characters as well over the years Dead um, no Deadpool was memes but like they they, they snapshotted comic book panels out of context to make him look even wackier. I mean, he's pretty wacky anyway. Yeah. But, but yeah, Moon Knight was just very definitely... Stuff about going to beat up Dracula, I've seen that one. Everybody's memeing about him beating up Dracula. Like, I, mm. I'm in a... I'm in I think a, that was the first big meme, I think. Yeah, I'm in of him. non-toxic Marvel <clears throat> posting. Uh, I can't say the word, because it's the... Con- but it's a, it's a good group, and they Poop think- posting! Poop posting. Non-toxic Marvel poop posting. It's my favourite Marvel group on Facebook. And uh, there, there's been constant memes of uh, <laughs> when are we going to punch Dracula in the face? Basically, I wonder. Have you got any? Do you know how? Do you know how long ago that started? What the memes about him punching Dracula? The memes about Moonlight in general. Uh, I'd say within the last five years, maybe. Wow. So that ties in with the very recent Moon Knight runs. Yeah. Yeah. That have been more popular than, than than others. And a slight redesign of the costume which has some black in it. Um I mean I wonder what's at the heart of that. Have you got any I like can you think of why because those crossed over outside of Marvel meme groups, I've seen them, you know, Imgur and places like that and just other people's timelines and on Twitter. You you asked like, me what how it how that meme grew into I, well, I'm not. I don't. I don't expect you to have a, a firm answer, but I'm wondering. Like, can you can you think from your 
uh, I hate to say this, your expertise in memeing. Thank you. Like, why? It helps why? if you say it slower and with grandeur, Rob. Oh, it helps God. if you say it like that. Okay, I'll try. With your expertise oh. in memeing. There we go. Oh, that was like a dagger in my soul. Uh, why? For me, it why? felt like the train had reached the station. <laughs> You're kind of from your perspective. I mean, if you had to say, like, what what reason do you think you can 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 assign to why this particular meme caught on and grew and people shared it around? Because it was funny, Rob. Because it was funny. Jesus, what differentiates it from anything else it's... that is funny and didn't permeate and break through? You mean the one I the one I saw. Any of the Moon Knight memes that went beyond your poop posting groups, which is mainly the Dracula one. Seriously, it really is because it was funny and popular. It had nothing to do with the existing popularity of Moon Knight. They just saw a funny panel with something funny and they went, ah, oh, that's actually quite funny. And they can use it in other contexts. Basically, what you have with these kind of memes is you have an out of context moment <clears throat> and then people apply their own context to it. And it became I, I, something that was applyable. That, that is that is that is actually a very good way of, of actually kind of summing that up for people that perhaps aren't in the know. And I I understand all of that, but that's all that's that's the vast majority of memes. I'm just mm. trying to I'm wondering why this particular one. I want to say you're asking the wrong person, but you're really not. You're asking the uh, what was it again? You, I want you oh, to say. Fuck. <laughs> you know what? I think I might want to move on from this whole segment rather than say that again. <laughs> anyway, Moon Knight. He, yeah. he looks a bit like Batman. Sorry, like Casper the Ghost. He, he, we're going to call him Meme Knight now. Meme. <laughs> if I cared about this character, I'd be deeply offended by that. Um, <laughs> let, let's segue on um, from from that character, from that section. Sorry, mm. the mind of the Muggle. I mean, he, it's worth pointing out he's not a character that's had a cartoon series. He's not a character that's had nope. a, a 1970s rated TV movie. Nope. Um, he's not a character who's had a obligatory buggy. Obligatory buggy, the Spider Mobile. Very true, but but you know that's a that's a Patreon exclusive. I don't think anyone else knows about that. Yeah, um, that's for our fans only. Do the right thing, you'll get the joke. Spider Mobile, <laughs> you'll get the joke next month. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think he he has appeared in a small number of video games. I, I think he definitely appears in Ultimate Alliance, which is very very popular. I'd imagine he crops up in the Lego because they've got everybody in there. I um, did see yeah, him in Lego. Not... Didn't see him in the Lego games I played. Maybe he doesn't then. Maybe he doesn't. I, I reckon we'll he does because to... I haven't played them all, Rob. You haven't played them all. Well, that's letting the side down. Um, <laughs> can you take us behind the scenes a little bit? We haven't got a full movie you know, to reflect on, and a lot of time hasn't passed because this series is still on the air. Mm. But we, I know you've been able to dig up from interviews and press releases and things like that, some notes on this, uh, on, the, on the production of this Disney Plus series, Moon Knight. I think if we could, if we could, I think this might be fun for our international listeners. Um, a lot of uh, kind of was trumpeted about this show being uh, set in London, at least for the first two episodes, two or three episodes. Um, so, and you're Will Preston. Mm. Where are you right now? Where are you currently existing? Uh, I am in Wapping, East London. If you go on Google Maps, basically, I'm just next to where the action is, but 
also I can have a peaceful night's sleep. He is a London boy, not born and bred, but nope. he is a London boy. Nope. So I thought it might be fun for you to run through all the different London locations that they definitely filmed in uh, for this London-based Moon Knight series. Well, funny enough, <laughs> they wanted to make this London-based as possible, and they did what any other play, every, any other TV show does when they film in London, when they want to do a show in London, they don't film in London. <laughs> <laughs> Famously, BBC shows uh, usually film in Cardiff unless they absolutely have to film in London, uh, similar with other things. But uh, basically, I'll go through each of the locations. So it's made to look as though he works at a museum in Trafalgar Square where that the National uh, National Gallery, an art museum, is actually located. However, rather the, I mean, that, that's the, the massively that, famous, that's, huge tourist attraction, yeah. It's made to look like he, he actually works at the British Museum. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I know where the British Museum is, and it is in walking distance uh, if you're up for a good walk. Uh, but it's not in such a glamorous location. It really is just off a street, the British Museum. It's but it's still a yeah. grand, grand building. However, rather than use the actual Trafalgar Square and the National Gallery for the show, the National Art Museum of of wait for it, Hungary was used as a standard for the exterior. You're of, kidding for the exterior for the exterior of London's National Art Gallery with the Hungarian Museum boasting a similar looking entrance. Now that's. I understand not wanting to do street scene, like, but he, all he does is like walk past it and walk up to it. They yeah. couldn't have filmed that somewhere in London. I, I, it's it's a central location. It's a it's more it's a world famous landmark. You're gonna, it, it, it's a lot of hassle to do that. Very true. I'm like when we get around to talking about the recent Spider Man films. Where one of the scenes was filmed in Tower Bridge, which is just up the road from me. I've I've cycled, jogged, walked, drove, driven across that bridge, and I keep thinking, how did they manage to film on this? And I can't wait to cover that. But anyway, uh, further to this, uh, they had to recreate the streets of Brixton in London just to confirm. Apparently, he's supposed to live in Brixton, which uh, is quite a good place uh, in in London. The creators of Moon Knight used a market street in. Wait for it. Budapest. It's cheaper to go to Budapest than it is to film in Brixton. Yes, they did we that. Change the signs. We can't get rid of these Russian oligarchs fast enough. Quite frankly, I Jesus. Know. I have to say though, uh, I I have a few friends who are Hungarian and the friendliest, loveliest people I've ever met. Uh, also, episode two, they drive. They they do actually do some uh, what I what I appear to be location shots in London. They do drive across London <laughs> Bridge. That's London Bridge with Tower Bridge in the background, and of course HMS Belfast. Did you hear that, Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas? He knows the difference. Yeah, because this is actually a very uh, common thing with people from outside the UK. They think London Bridge is Tower Bridge, which is which obviously Tower Bridge is way more iconic than London Bridge. London Bridge. Uh, boring bridge tower bridge has the towers the Ta- bits that go up i can and fun fact i can see it outside my window whenever i want and i walk whenever he wants I, and he doesn't I, even have to pay doesn't yeah i and, and you know what whenever i have to go to my dentist it's on the other side of the river i walk across that bridge every time i go to the dentist i am a lucky man i love how many clues you're giving to potential stalkers and kidnappers it's a brilliant episode for them oh yeah but whopping I, east london 
view of Tower Bridge with a dentist on the other side. It's just brilliant. Good luck finding me in one of the most densely populated boroughs in the capital. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, in the second episode, and I was uh, I was quite happy to point out they actually did well with this. He runs away from a, a jackal past the Bank of England and then across the north side of the Thames towards the Tower of London. I, I can, as someone who jogs around the city, who cycles around the city, who knows that area, this is totally doable and not that far run. This isn't a horrible thing they do in films where they suddenly jump from one location of a city to another. From one well-known location to yeah, another, they, yeah. And they actually did well there. I was very and they, impressed. Those were both filmed in both those places. So the Bank of England mm-hmm. and the, uh, the, 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 the sort of the other side of the Thames was, yep. that was, that was, that whole episode two stuff was filmed in... So episode two is a fair bit then of uh, of, of London scenery. A fair bit. It's uh, obviously you know you, you got to do your money shots uh, to establish things. You think, oh, okay, we'll just yeah. do it cheaply there. But there are some bits where it's like, no, we really do actually have to film fits in London. We can't fake it. And I'm really glad they they did it at some really nice areas. The Bank of England, of course, and uh, along the Thames towards the Tower of London. Uh, obviously, the, the latter of which is quite a big tourist landmark. No, no one goes to the Bank of England. No one goes there, apart from people who work there. And the, the boat that, that employs Mary Poppins. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, if only Disney introduced Mary Poppins into the multiverse. Just like the what ending else? of that uh, League of Extraordinary Terrible Gentlemen Terrible League Gentlemen, yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. move on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, <laughs> what else can you tell us, Will, about this, uh, this, this Moon Knight Disney Plus series? Well, moving away from locations, I've got quite a few uh, production notes here. Uh, Oscar, first of all, Oscar Isaac told Empire Magazine in February 2022 that he invited his neighbour, Ethan Hawke, to play the role of Arthur Harrow in Moon Knight. After bumping into him at a coffee shop in Brooklyn during COVID-19 pandemic, and after watching Hawk in The Good Lord Bird, uh, the 2020 movie, Isaac is also an executive producer on the series. Neighbours, everybody Everybody needs good neighbours. When you're executive producing a Disney (laughs) show, they can play the perfect cult leader. Never mind. I was going to go um, with a different uh, word. Yeah. Let me let me let me get let me get a pronunciation of his surname again. Hawk. No, the other one. Isaac. <laughs> my my godson. That's how we spell his name. But we call him Isaac. I can't. I can't. Isaac. Um, Isaac. I know you were actually because it's a double A. Isaac. You're Isaac. kind of Isaac. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I worked with a guy called Isaac. We called him Isaac. Isaac. We called mm, him Isaac. Maybe we're doing it wrong. Isaac. Do you know Rob? Maybe you're just going to have to get used to the fact that you live in the Midlands and I'm a Southerner and you will never uh, pronounce things correctly like I do. So I <laughs> did some voiceover work for a German manufacturing company. And whenever I do voiceover work, I've got a pretty great voice. You do, um, you do. But I do have a Midlands accent. And whenever <laughs> I do it, I constantly get called up on certain words like was. He was going down the road, and they go, "No, it's not was." Outside of where you live, it's was, and I'm like, "Ah, that's some that's some BS right there." <laughs> and then what I have to do is sentence, I overpronounce it, so I'd have to say, "Ethan Hawke was playing the role," and oh. they go, "No, you're overpronouncing was," and I'm like, "It's because it's was," but yeah. Up and at them. <laughs> That's all I can think right now. Uh, next fact, uh, prediction. Sorry, next note. Uh, Ethan Hawke based his character of Arthur Harrow on cult leader David Koresh. 
We're going to have to get into why he does that later in the show. Ooh, I can't Because I know you want to know all about yeah. uh, Arthur Harrow. I've seen the question, oh, and good. I have got the answers. Good. The show's producers cite the psychological thriller Memento as an influence on the show. Come on! Was that one on purpose? <laughs> I I did look at this and went, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when you're writing notes, you think, I want Rob to have an aneurysm <laughs> at least once in a show. Memento. That's actually Jesus how you actually Christ. pronounce it. Memento. No, it's memento. Me- memento. Memento. No. No. I think. Do that one again, and I won't interrupt this time. No, we we did it, Rob. We did it. That was it. That was it. Have that- you seen that film? Uh. I have. I don't like it that much, and every and oh, everyone says it. it's Christopher Nolan's one of his best films. And I mm. and I went, but in Dark Knight, he flipped over a lorry. Mm. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. I, I I enjoyed some of it, like the the film noir aspect and the and and the very <laughs> twisty plot. But I just felt I felt there were gaps. I felt there were gaps in it, and I and I and I lost interest. I was like, oh, I don't care. I love it. I think it's a really great thriller. If you've not seen Memento, um, I highly recommend. Uh, it's got one of the greatest actors in the history of Neighbours in it. Oh. Second Neighbours reference of the episode. One of the most handsome men of all time, I think. Um, and also, what's the one with Al Pacino in in the very cold place with not a lot of daylight and he can't sleep? Insomnia. That's a really good. Oh, that sounds that's, good. That's him as well, isn't it? Al Pacino's in it. it, it that's that's another um, of your boy's movie. Guy Pierce. No, your other boy. Your main boy. Christopher Nolan? Yeah, Nolan. That's Nolan's... What? I think this is a movie he did right after Memento. What? Insomnia with... Why is um, he my main Al- boy? Why would you do he this? He cr- directed your three favourite movies of all time. Yeah, but then Matt the, Reeves the came along and, and directed, directed The Batman... And oh, I went, right. He over no, that's my favourite Batman okay. film now. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Planet of the Apes man did did a good job basically. Filming started in April 2021 and wrapped in October 2021. It was shot <clears throat> in Budapest and Sidentra in I don't know how to pronounce that, I'm very sorry, in Hungary, at Pywood Studios in England, in Wadi Rum in Jordan, and and in Atlanta and Los Angeles, USA. No, no. Apparently, is none of that said London. I I thought they they would have done done the some of it in London because of the uh, Bank of England bit. Oh yeah, true. That looked exactly like Bank of England. It looked like it to me. Anyway, perhaps they're just picking out the major yeah. the major places, major, they did, major place. scenes. You know, the, you, you know the major places in England. You got you got Manchester, London, Pinewood Studios. Those are the three main places. It really is a major place. In, I know, in this I know Pinewood Studios. It's a great place. Uh, since the show is about Egyptian mythology and is set within an Egypt-related plot, the cast includes many actors of Egyptian roots, uh, including me, Kalam Kalam Kalamaway. Have I got it right? I'm not Egyptian. Don't look to me for the correct. Kalam, yeah. Kalam, Kalamwe, uh, Antonia Salib, Sophia Danu, Amra Al Kabi, Hazim Ahib, Ahmed Dash, and Karim El Hakim. 
Why are you looking at me? Yes. You're staring at me. You're looking at I, me. I'm looking. We're on a video call. I look at the screen. You look at the screen. What am I? But you're giving me this anticipated look no, as, I'm, as, as me. I'm waiting for you to keep talking. You just stop as, talking. As me, a white man is very <laughs> unconfidently going through no, a list, list of no. foreign names. Mispronouncing, mispronouncing uh, people's names when they're outside of your field of how you grew up—it's not a big deal. It's not a problem. It's not—it's it, not an intentional kind of slight, and it's not aggressive ignorance. It's mild ignorance, but we all throughout the world possess mild ignorance. It's fine. It's ironic that I don't embrace my mild ignorance, isn't it? Of this, I know, right? <laughs> I'm powered by it. The show is directed by Egyptian director Mohamed Daib and his wife Sarah Goher serves as consulting producer. Egyptian composer Hesham Nazi serves as the composer of the show. The ending credits include visuals of Egypt such as the Pyramids of Giza and Cairo Tower. The show also includes Egyptian songs. So I they- love the end credits yeah. of this show. They are fantastic. They, I adore them. They really feel different from any other Marvel thing I've seen, where it's yeah. just standard Alan Silvestri music and maybe some visuals of characters. And this is just like, let's just go completely different. Egypt. I, I think the end, the end credits of all the Disney Plus shows have felt really, really cool recently. I think yeah. Hawkeye particularly stood out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's this, I mean, Wonder and Scarlet Witch did as well. Wonder and Scarlet Witch, Wonder and Vision or whatever it was called. The Wonder and the Scarlet Witch. Is it? Is it Scarlet Witch and the Vit? What, what's that show called? The show's called WandaVision. One, that's why it's called that. There I reckon they should call it The Wonder and the Scarlet Witch. Just <laughs> they, but they all, they all have these, <laughs> these wonderful end credit sequences that aren't, they have these great visuals that relate to and inform of what you've just seen. The music is always good. I, I, I'm just a big, big fan of them. Yeah, they're I, great. I, I like it. In fact, in fact, it's almost like an advert to go to Egypt, which would be great as I've seen way too many adverts on YouTube telling me to go to Qatar. <laughs> oh, endless, that one. Endless yeah. Qatar adverts. Anyway, uh, this is this one I'm really keen on. This one I'm re- re- I, I just remembered uh, that this is the third time Oscar Isaac has played a Marvel character. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The third. So he's... He's Apocalypse in the terrible one of the many terrible X Men movies. Yeah, he is. He is a played who's, Apocalypse in X Men Apocalypse two thousand. Who's the second one that I'm missing and forgetting? Then? He voiced Miguel O'Hara slash oh, Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Son of a. It's Spider Man yeah. into the Spider Verse. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. one got past me as well. That yeah, one got past man. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, Spider Man twenty ninety nine is one of my all time favorite. Um, yeah, one of my all-time favorite characters, and I and I did. I think that we mentioned it on a previous show as well mm. that Oscar Isaac played him. But it's just completely slipped my mind. He, yeah, he's one of your absolute favorite characters, but not favorite enough to listen to his voice. Uh. Well, he only he's only in it for like five seconds at the end. Well, Oscar Isaac's very expensive. Uh, Oscar Isaac also told Variety in March 2022 that he is not contractually obligated to remain in the MCU after Moon Knight ends. It's six episode run in May 2022 so fans should not necessarily expect him to show up in Marvel Studios features although Kevin Feige has said he expects Moon Knight to cross over into the MCU movies in the future 
So that's quite interesting because usually they're locked in, aren't they? Actors are locked in. Well, what this is the first time we are seeing an MCU character debut in a TV series and not a movie that makes a lot of money. This now, is when, another good point, yeah. What what we've seen previously is characters that have signed multi-year deals for the for the for Marvel Studios mainly for the for the movie side of things, I guess. Yeah. And then they've appeared in these TV shows. Yeah. This is the first time it's happening kind of the other way around. And I guess they did not sign this kind of multi-year deal um from this end of things. So that is interesting. It, yeah. It feels business wise. It does feel odd when I watch the show and no one's mentioned the Avengers or Shield or Thanos, and no one's. It, it, it's so far removed. But I'll talk about that when I actually am allowed to talk about my feelings of the show. <laughs> well, I, I I love that about this series. I really do. It's. I'm going to gush later. I'm going to put. A cork it's what in. I greatly enjoyed about Eternals as well, to a certain extent. It felt very different, and felt like we were finally moving on, and the start of Shang Chi a little bit as well. I. I mean, I'm going to enjoy discussing the Eternals. Don't think I'm going to enjoy uh, the 24 hours of watching it again. We're very different. I enjoy that movie I, an awful lot. I'm looking forward to discussing it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> the character Mark Spector slash Moon Knight was to be introduced in the planned second season of Blade the series before its cancellation. In September 2006, a potential spin-off series for the character had also been in development. What American TV network was Blade the series on? Was it FX or something? No, we've done this before. We have, and it's gone from my mind. Spike! Oh, yeah! <laughs> was this Spike the lad- TV. Was this the Lad Lad channel? TV for men. Oh, God. Um, yeah, TNN, it was the Nashville Network, then later the National Network, which it, it changed its name from the Nashville Network to the National Network when it gained the rights to air WWE Monday Night Raw. Oh, wow. And they went, hey, we can't be regional anymore. We have to become the National Network. So that became TNN. And then the Raw left them and went back to the USA Network. And. Um, TNN rebranded themselves as Spike TV around the same time they got the rights to wrestling competitor corp- uh, company TNA, TNA Wrestling. TNA, I've heard of that. Uh, any, if anyone there out there has seen Blade the series, could you let us know if it was any good? I've seen it. Is it any good? Um, it's about as good as Supernatural, that that kind of level of show. I never, so not, wa- I never watched not Super. Very good. I never watched Supernatural, but I heard there's a lot of eighties rock in it. The the main theme song, yeah. What's the main theme song? I carry on my way. No, sun. it's not Kansas. Yeah. They actually yeah, did that as the main theme. It doesn't really fit personally, no. but. It's a weird. I had the. I yeah. had them talking. Someone said you will like it. Well, it's got mullet rock in it, and I went, Ooh, okay. Supernatural is like mainly driven by a lot of shipping. It seems. It seems. It seems. It has lots of very attractive, like cool guy, two cool guy, attractive lead characters. Um, it has a hugely high kind of like female uh. um, viewership um, and. Yeah, supernatural stuff, but it's not. It's really not very particularly good. It no. ran for like ten years, though. 
I know it's a long-running show. This is why I need to ask loads of questions before I even think of watching it, because I do not have... I was about to say, I do not have a lot don't, of time left. And I was like, I'll, what? Don't, don't watch it. There's, no, there's absolutely okay. no reason to watch that show. Yeah. If you've watched Buffy, you've already watched kind of the pinnacle of that genre. Okay. So and I plan, to watch, I plan to do a run-through of Buffy at some point. Anyway, back to the show. Dr. Paul Puri, a board-certified psychiatrist and an assistant clinical professor at UCLA, served as a consultant for the series regarding its depictions of mental illness. I find that kind of thing weird, personally, because they're not. This is not. This is not a a film st- about mental illness. This yeah. is not a straight yeah. drama yeah. about mental illness. Yeah. This is. This is this is a show about sci-fi fantasy stuff. Some, I don't understand some, the need to do this. Sometimes you just want that extra bit of realism that you could maybe bounce off ideas that fit into the character. You, f- you find it strange, Rob, but you know no one's ever asked you to make a Disney Plus series, so maybe Seems you should shut like up. Seems like a waste of money to me. What? What do you, like, what, do you want them to I, hire you? I'm saying I don't think they had that for like Fight Club and. Any of these other movies I, I don't, that were popular and, yeah. and used a similar kind of... I don't see what the, the point is. The 90s and the noughties weren't a great time, Rob. They were not a great time for mental health. A great time for movies, though. Yeah. Like, I, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are historically and paleontologically inaccurate. Mm-hmm. I couldn't give a monkey spunk. <laughs> It's an incredibly great movie. Why would I want it or need it to be accurate? Well, the uh, the idea is in the film they're not supposed to be accurate anyway. They're genetically... Yeah, but that's something they wrote on the other end. You could have done that in this movie. You could have, you could have done this TV series. All you'd have to do is include a line of dialogue that goes, but of course, this isn't a real mental illness. This is... A science fiction thing that's happening. Cool, great. There we go. We don't have to pay... Dr. Paul Puri, an amount of money to consult on scripts. And I mean, it's just, I just think it's bonkers. It's a real refreshing feeling when you're the pedantic one for once. I don't think I'm being pedantic. You're just whiny. Offering an opposite (laughs) viewpoint. I don't see why we would need this. Yeah, I don't know why I'd need it here, an opposite viewpoint either. (laughs) Some of the show's trickiest scenes are those where Isaac is essentially talking to himself, holding entire conversations between Mark and Stephen. It was da- it was Dave, who uh, director, who suggested using reflections to portray those heart-to-hearts, a theme that recurs throughout the series. That's why I feel, feel you need to watch this a few times before you start to see the role that reflections constantly play throughout the entire thing, Isaac teases. It's just suffused with meaning and symbolism. I have to say, I think that is a far too... I mean, unless there's something to come that I haven't spotted, mm. I think that is a far too hyperbolic way of saying, in some scenes I talk to the mirror. <laughs> like, I don't think it's suffused with an awful lot of meaning, and I certainly don't think it's suffused with an awful lot of symbolism. Maybe. There are times, before they introduce that device, there are times when the camera 
Oh, it starts on a puddle showing a reflection. Ah, but that's it. <laughs> There's that's it. not a lot of symbolism or meaning in this. Sometimes he talks to his reflection. That's it's, it. It's it's a narrative device, Isaac. Stop yeah. talking. Yeah, <laughs> he really wants to make this, mo- and that's what I think. All the talk of did in the, the you know dissociative identity disorder and this, they're really trying to make this feel like it's more important than it is, and that always irks me a little bit. Well. This is the thing, Rob, with uh, marketing and whatnot. Sometimes you can't just say, hey, it's a superhero thing. You've got to say, hey, we're dealing with this, we're dealing with that, and the others aren't really dealing with I that. disagree. You, <laughs> I don't think you ever need to do that. You go, so there's this guy, and you explain all the cool, like you talk about all the cool stuff that's going to happen in the show, the fights and the the explosions and the costume and the, you just do that. Let's not even bother with subtext and themes, let's just... No, have subtext and themes, that's not what they're talking about here. Also, none of the stuff we've seen so far is a subtext or a theme. On direct, on on, just going to move on because you're ruining everything. On directing, Mohammed Daib said Moon Knight had also 14 runs so far. There were so many iterations, but I think we leaned more, especially Jeremy Slater, the great writer who created the show, on the Lemire run, which I love. It deals. It uh, deals with a lot of DID and disorientation, which is something I think we tried to our best to embrace. We also we have that feeling, and I have to give it to Marvel and Jeremy for picking the best way to tackle our project. DID disassoci- disassociated identity disorder, isn't it? That's the one. Yeah, it did. I thought he said, "Yeah, it did," and I thought yeah, you were making did. a terrible pun, and I was like, "I I would slap you if I could." <laughs> And last of all, and this is a this is this has been quite a good topic of discussion. This one, this is the number one topic everyone talks about. We saved so it, far. we saved it till last because we don't want you uh, switching off. Like, when are they going to talk about this anyway? The uh, character of Stephen Grant was originally going to be a New Yorker living in London, but Isaac said there was an opportunity to do something different, so he suggested he play him as an Englishman. He cited comedian Russell Kane, Carl Pilkington, and Russell Brand as influences. Isaac said that he felt there were too many English actors coming over to do New York, New York accents, so it was time to repay the favour. What a weird mix. Okay, Russell Kane, I kind of get. Russell Brand, I kind of get. Carl Pilkington is a bit of a stretch. Two Londoners and a mank. And a mank. <laughs> What? Uh, yeah. Okay. I have to say though, uh, I was discussing this with my family uh, yesterday, and I said, basically, up until the last few years, Americans imitating British or rather English accents would either be posh or Dick Van Dyke Cockney. And now, if, if, as an interview with Chris Pratt, where he was imitating uh, Towie, the only way is Essex, <clears throat> and I've seen it on on this season's uh, t- uh, Atlanta as well. Americans can now do Essex accents, and I think it's brilliant, and they actually do quite an all right job at them. I think Top Boy is quite popular in America as well. There's quite a lot of TikTok mm. videos of uh, Americans doing the, like the Top Boy memes and Top Boy kind of like accents as well. In it, is um, it it's, it's, I call it the in it voice. In it, I suppose so. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the accents before we move on? Oh my lord! When I first saw the trailer, I on the non-toxic Marvel. A hem, a hem posting group. We were just ripping into it. It 
it's like a weird bath. You get used to it after a while. But at first, bath. Ba- bath. <laughs> Isaac, Isaac, uh, shut up, Rob, with your regional nonsense. Uh, it was a lot. It, like they, they, his voice was the show. That's way how of, all you lot sound to me, anyway. So I no, didn't really it didn't bother not me. Not me. Much. I'm actually quite well spoken. But it's like they were really hammering home that. By the way, he lives in London, so he says stuff like "in it" and "noggin." There was an awful lot in the promotion about Isaac. Oscar Isaac has this incredible accent. You won't believe it. And I heard it and I was like, no, I can definitely believe that's an American doing a weird voice. I, it, it grew on me, though. It grew on me. It, uh, like, by episode two and three, I'm fine with it. I don't have an issue. It's a lot. But at the same time, well done, America. You have a third British accent. Well done. Let's take a trip behind the page now, then, to look at the the full history of Moon Knight, something that, uh, I mean, look, this episode is going to be the definitive Moon Knight episode. I will put us up against any other Marvel podcast out there. We are digging deeper and going harder and further than anybody else, um, and we are going to give you everything you need to know about Moon Knight. Um, Let's start at the beginning, then, in the 1970s, because Moon Knight will, believe it or not, was created as a supervillain. Oh, um, that would make uh, cre- sense. Created by a writer called Doug Monch and artist Don Perlin. He first appeared as... In, one, in the 70s, Marvel had an awful lot of supernatural horror-themed comic books. We talked about um, Tomb of Dracula. We've talked about the that span off into Blade. Um, things like Ghost Rider. There's also one called Werewolf by Night. Werewolf by Night was a comic book about a hip, young 70s teen um, who is cur- uh, suffers under a family curse at the age of 18. Um, he becomes a werewolf uh, during, under a full moon. Um, that So Marvel Comics uh, in the 70s, and right the way through, used to have a little title box at the top of the comic mm. that would introduce the character right ah so, yeah 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 um on the very first page of amazing spider-man it would be bitten by a radioactive pi- uh, radioactive spider teenage peter parker uh began the proportionate strength and speed of a spider and his uncle died and he became spider-man the uh fizz, um, fizz magazine do that as well Taken, it's it's from Stan, yeah. it's the Stan Jack. Oh, what's he? It's taken from that. Yeah. Um, the one for Werewolf by Night. Instead of saying, is written in the first person, and it's like my tag is Jack. Um, because they're trying to write a hip seventies lingo. Instead of saying my name, it's like, hey there, cool cats. My my tag, my tag's Jack. Like tag it's being this name tag. It's so weirdly cringy now. Yeah. But Werewolf by Night, yeah, Jack Russell is the name of the kid. <laughs> Uh, and he becomes a werewolf by night. Does he become a small yappy werewolf? <laughs> he doesn't know. He a small a yappy werewolf that's, that has a temper. Oh, God. Sorry. I, I remember we talked about Jack Russell before. Jack but Russell. It, it will never stop being funny. Jack Russell werewolf by night. Moon Knight is introduced to be a moon-themed villain for mm. this werewolf. And to fight him with silver weapons. That's the whole idea behind Moon Knight. That's his entire concept and creation. 
Len Wein was the editor of Werewolf by Night in the 70s at the time. And we've talked about Len Wein before because he's the co-creator of Wolverine uh-huh. uh, and Swamp Thing as well. Len calls uh, Monch up to discuss the upcoming issues of Werewolf by Night. And it's like, oh, he talks to all the writers and he's like, I need you to give me the breakdown of what's going to happen in the next three issues. Um. And uh, Doug Munch, in an interview he gave, said that, you know, he he said he was talking about this criminal organization that was called the committee. And he said, how about if the committee hire a mercenary to take down the werewolf? I'll try and make him colorful and distinctive. Maybe I'll give him a costume. Maybe I won't. Um, have I got any names? Uh, let's see. And he runs through a list of 50. He's got 15 names prepared for this mercenary. <laughs> The first one that he remembers was called Blood Moan. Uh, okay. So that was nearly the name of Moon Knight, Blood Moan. Blood Moan. By the time he gets to the third name on the list, it's Moon Knight with a K. And immediately Len Wein loves the name and he says, that's it. I want I want Moon Knight. The character's got to be called Moon Knight. That's what I want. Um and uh, Monch says, I'll come up with costumes and I'll tie it into the moon. I thought I'd just create a new villain. Um, and since the star of Werewolf by Night is a werewolf, anyone ah. who fights him and kind of looks like a hero, well, sorry, anyone that fights him will kind of look a bit like a hero because they're fighting a werewolf. Yeah, naturally. So I came up with a guy who was a villain, but also kind of had a little bit of honor, a little bit of, of subtlety to him. The story that takes place over two issues is left open-ended, like an awful lot of of, uh, Marvel stories were at the time. The villain of the piece, Moon Knight, could return in the future, but might not. Len Wein, Doug Monch, they had no intention and no plans to bring him back. Mm. But then Marv Wolfman calls Doug up a few months later. We've talked about Marv Wolfman before because he's the co-creator of Blade. Uh Um, And Marv Wolfman says to Doug... I really like that Moon Knight guy. Why don't you do spin him off and do a one shot for one of our, our our books like Marvel Premiere or Marvel Spotlight? Those are comic books that are kind of like um, anthology comics, and we've talked about those before. Yes, that's the first yes. that's the first place they introduce characters. Um, like uh, I'm trying to think now, um, Star Lord was first in one of those, and 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 Groot and things like that. Yeah. And Doug Munch is completely taken aback by this. He's like, the werewolf guy? (laughs) The the, the hood and the silver and the cape? You want me to spin him off onto his own and make him the good, make him the hero of the story? He's like, I mean, okay. This is a recurring theme, right? Mm. Anytime Doug Monch is interviewed about Moon Knight, it is, and I've listened to a lot of interviews to rehearse for this, prepare for this, it's very clear that Doug never saw Moon Knight as a good character, as a star character. It's the, he's constantly surprised, but the writers and editors are really into the character and like, oh, I love that. What, the guy in all the white and the silver and the cape and the hood. And Doug largely does not see what other people see in Moon Knight. Um, and that's really and and I think part of the key of this character is that what people love most I think about Moon Knight throughout the decades and years Mm. is the design the look the costume and the name it's a really cool badass name Moon Knight with a K it's a cool badass name 
people gravitate to that. And we're going to see that virtually everything else about the character changes over 40, 50 years, except for those two things that initially grabbed people. <laughs> um, so they do a, a two issues in Marvel Spotlight, uh, it, retooling uh, Moon Knight to be a, a, a crime fighter, a superhero. Um, and everything he once used to fight a werewolf is now used to fight bad guys. And they introduce a supporting cast and secret identity and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's just two issues, and that's it. It doesn't carry on. Um, in the same way that Amazing Fantasy introduced Spider-Man to the world, mm. it's proved really, really popular... Writers, uh, fans wrote in demanding more Spider-Man, so they created Spider-Man's own comic. That didn't yeah. happen with Moon Knight. People bought it, and that was it. There wasn't like fans clamoring, banging at the door. We must have more Moon Knight. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Two issues in Spotlight. <laughs> it resolves the story against a villain called Conquer Lord, which Jeez. is one of the worst names. I mean, Blood Moan was bad, but Conquer Lord. Is truly horrible. That's you. You know. You know. You want your. You want your villain to sound like a villain, but you also want to put some effort in. Yeah. And Conquer Lord just went like they. It sounded like they started running out of breath while saying that sentence. And I went, Conquer. Lord. It sounds to me, mm. and this is a UK specific uh, little gag here. It sounds to me like he is the king of the schoolyard playground in autumn. He's the Conquer Lord. <laughs> so this will be the final episode of Marvel vs. Marvel. I can Marvel. see the, all the light die in your eyes. <laughs> I, said I, that. I mean, there wasn't that much brightness anyway, Rob, and you snuffed it out with that awful regional gag. How is that regional? I mean, it's you. It's a countrywide. Okay, okay. I, 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 it might I, even I, be European. I don't know. <laughs> um, so after that, after those two issues, later down the line, Doug gets another call to spin Moon Knight off as a backup strip in mm. another publication. Sometimes in the comic book world, a comic the main story doesn't last the whole issue. Mm. There'll be a backup story that might run, I don't know, three to five pages in the back yeah. um, of, of, the, of the comic, and that might be a completely different character. That sometimes happens. Okay. Um, it's quite short, and it's a lot harder to write because you've, you've only got those sort of four or five pages to, to, to tell a recurring story. Yeah. Marvel had actually this wasn't to wasn't going to feature in a comic book at all it was going to feature in a magazine Ooh. one of the very very few magazines marvel published it was called rampaging hulk okay now it was not it had a comic book story in it but it was a black and white magazine aimed at an older audience and sold on newsstands alongside more mature horror theme magazines like Vampirella um, and things like that, which were black and white. They normally had a little bit of TNA titillation in them, a <laughs> little bit of swearing, uh, much more morally grey stories, a lot more violence in the stories. Although Something not for the stuff. lads. Yeah, definitely. It was for for older readers, for people that yeah. were kind of a bit, bit more grown up. Mm. Um and there are slightly larger format as well, a magazine format. And there was some articles in there, but the main selling point was black and white, 
rampaging Hulk, black rampaging Hulk story. So Hulk would have been portrayed much more as like a um, a, a movie monster, like a Godzilla or a, that mm. kind of a style of of monster, rather than like a superhero and a and a fluffy, cuddly character. Um, <laughs> and, and Marvel thought that this kind of morally questionable mercenary turned werewolf hunter turned. Uh, vigilante would be a good fit for this mature audience. Okay, that makes sense. And so, yeah, Doug was then teamed up. This is where an important figure in the history of Moonlight comes on board, an artist called Bill um, Sakevich. Um, Sakevich has become a very famous artist, in, in a very famous figure in the art world in general, um, for his impressionist style mm. with comic book arts. And he is responsible for some of the most distinctive artwork and distinctive front covers you'll ever see in a comic book. His work on Elektra and New Mutants is really iconic. Um, but at this time in the in the 70s, he's a young kid trying to burst into the business. He doesn't have that impressionist style yet. Um, in his early days, he's really heavily influenced by a legendary uh, Batman and Green Lantern artist called Neil Adams. In fact, Sakevich's art is nearly a mirror image in the early days it's nearly a mirror image of uh neil adams's art he goes to dc comics for a job with his portfolio catches them on a good day neil adams is actually in the office um and his his portfolio gets passed around the dc offices as check it out this guy can do neil <laughs> um it's like can you believe it this kid is doing neil adams and neil adams sees it and he's really impressed he's so impressed there aren't there isn't any work for Bill um at DC. Neil Adams, who is head of whatever studio at DC, picks the phone up. He calls Marvel Comics and he says, I've got another Neil Adams for you. I'm sending him over. <laughs> and off he goes. And Marvel jumps at the chance because Neil Adams is he, I mean, slick is the word I would I always think of when I think of Neil Adams' artwork. It's good. It's 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 one of the most iconic depictions of Batman ever. The same with Green Lantern and Green Arrow, um, especially in that kind of um, Bronze Age, I guess, sort of Bronze Age. Um, Sienkiewicz becomes the Moon Knight artist for these black and white, mature, backup, rampaging Hulk stories. And forms this really good working partnership with Doug. Doug Munch always talks about how he writes for the artist. Mm. Whatever the artist is really good at doing, I'll write stories around that. To the extent that he once worked with an artist and he said, what do you want to do? And he said, can you write a story that involves Russian tanks? <laughs> uh, British ladies. And he gave a list of all these very specific things. And Doug goes, okay. And goes off and writes a story that involves all of that. Cause it's all the things the guy can draw the best. Mm. Um, and then something very key happens for Moon Knight. Okay. It's the direct market in the comic book industry. So slightly to pull back. Traditionally in America, and thus, well, depending on how it is, but, but America leads the way. Traditionally in America, since the 30s, comic books were sold on newsstands, mm. those those places outside that don't, uh, you know, they're a, they're a stand on the on the sort of a street, which a, is where you buy your your newspapers and magazines from. A kiosk, 
We would kiosk say in this country. country yeah, kiosk. mainly we'd have them at, uh, at, a, at a, in this country on a train station. Yeah, um, and a little bit around around major city hubs. Um, but newsstands, uh, they're also sold in pharmacies and they're sold in sweet shops, candy stores, and, and, and toy shops as well. In the ninety, by the nineteen seventies, this had declined massively, as comic books were becoming less and less popular with what you'd call the mass audience of everyday kids and families from the 30s on through the comic books were 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 like every kid read comics every single kid in america read comics by the time you get to the 70s you had an awful lot of public outcry and scares and scandals and television has come along just less and less kids same you know baseball declining popularity things whack wax and wane come and go roller derby was once the most virtually the most popular sport in america and it died overnight (laughs) these things happen but this led to the rise or the beginning Mm. of the comic book shop Ah. which was never the place you went to buy comics because they didn't exist slowly but surely 60s through to the 70s, shops dedicated specifically and entirely to selling comic books became a thing. And they're selling to dedicated fans, not like the kid who's with his mom at the shop. Yeah. Right? Dad's going to buy a magazine or a newspaper. He buys little Timmy a Superman. The the mom goes out to do the the family shopping for the groceries. They pick up some comics for the kids or whatever. Um, This is people that love comics go to the comic book shop to buy the comics. Um, This also led to the rise. So this is... By the 70s, these stores had clubbed together and arranged a brand new deal with Marvel and DC Comics to purchase their comics directly from the publisher, which was not how it had worked in, in the 60s and for a lot of the 70s. This direct purchase of of comic book shops that sell directly to comic book fans buying directly from the publishers creates a direct line yes. from the publishers to the fan it creates the direct market the direct market for good or for bad and there's things on both sides <laughs> it's not like it's not like it replaced the mass market uh, the mass market selling of comics it came about through necessity because the mass market died off right yeah that makes Virtually. perfect that makes perfect sense yeah you go to where your core audience is but the direct market selling directly to comic book fans allowed publishers to take more risk with characters and stories that might not hold mass appeal at the newsstand at the pharmacy at the toy store right in general that means more mature and more adult-themed comics, specifically because the younger audience is kind of growing less every day and dying off. Yeah. But, the, but the kids that liked it in their youth are now older, and they still like it. You know, And that's been the tale of comic books ever since the 70s. The audience has just got older and older and older, and less and less young kids are getting into comics. Anyway, the market also created a lot less cost for publishers, right? In, 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 in the regular mass market, the newsstands and pharmacies, in the same as they can with magazines, can return unsold comic books. And the publisher mm. has to swallow the cost of the unsold comics. Ooh, That's standard. 
that's interesting. So the publisher is speculating on yeah. what the mass market will buy yeah. and taking a financial hit if they're wrong. And as the mass market shrunk, they were losing out more and more and losing out hard. But with the direct market, the comic book shops placed their orders in advance, allowing the publishers to make much smaller printings. And whatever the comic book shops buy from the publisher, they buy and own and cannot return. They keep. Which allows Marvel and DC to take zero risk in the direct market. That's incredible. Virtually zero risk. It, it, I, I, it's, it's pushing all the risk onto the uh, onto the shop front, basically, rather than from their supplies. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So in 1980, Marvel, uh, the direct market has had this. It's is really starting to ramp up. Comic book shops. The 1980s are the boom period for the comic book shop and for the direct market. 1980, it's kind of about to start, right? Marvel are looking for stories and characters to appeal to the direct market, slightly more mature, slightly edgier, slightly darker. And Moon Knight seemed to them like the perfect choice because it had been in this rampaging Hulk magazine, which had been one of the only Marvel magazines they had, you know, that was directed to kind of a mature, older audience. Editor-in-chief at the time, Jim Shooter, commissioned Doug Monch and Bill Sienkiewicz to take their Moon Knight act from the back pages of Rampaging Hulk and turn it into a fully-fledged monthly comic book series for the direct market. Much smaller print runs, less risk, all of that, sent to dedicated fans. Shooter's only caveat in this was that they had to give Moon Knight a proper origin story like any of the other proper Marvel lead characters have. Mm. It can't simply be he's bad. Werewolf Hunter. He's badass and that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, whatever you want to say or think about Moon Knight, the design and look of that character is cool. Is cool as F. And his name is badass as well. Those are the things which really grabbed people in that one appearance in Werewolf by Night in that Marvel spotlight. Um, and th- that combined with the the kind of the action movie mercenary element and, and this is key, the really slick, gorgeous artwork of Sienkiewicz, it made Moon Knight a real hit on the direct market. Hmm. It, it might not have been selling top tier characters like Spider Man and Batman comics were selling in the mass market, but it didn't have to. Like the the, the overheads and the break even points are are in the direct market are much lower, which uh, rather nicely means that the roy so at the time royalties that are paid to creators only kick in once that break even point has been hit. Right. right okay. That break-even point in the direct market is so much lower. So much lower. So Doug Monch and Bill Sekovich and all those dudes who are creating the comic, they they get to hit that royalty level that much quicker and sooner, and um, it's a good deal for everybody. So Moon Knight is a hit, a modest hit, with comic book shops and, and comic book fans. The first series of Moon Knight, it only runs for three years. It, it, <laughs> it runs to issue 38. But from here on out, writers, editors, 
would keep returning to the Moon Knight character. It, it, it would keep being resurrected and rebooted and retooled by dozens of different writers, each putting their own spin on the character, each of them essentially changing pretty drastic and important things about Moon Knight. So many of the of the different Moon Knight series contradict something that has happened previously <laughs> by a, a different creator. So many times the character does a complete 180 on something about the personality or the history. It's a character that is incredibly hard to pin down over 40 years, uh, 40 plus years of history. It's incredibly hard to pin down and say, oh, this is what Moon Knight is all about. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really hard. Our Superman episode... We dealt with a huge amount of continuity, decades and decades of it. We dealt with um, altering continuity as well. But it, it was pretty consistent. We could pretty much agree quite early on, this is what Superman is. Yeah. This is the backstory and things about Krypton might change and things about his power levels might change. But this is who Superman is, was pretty consistent. Moon Knight is not that case he's been a werewolf hunter with mm, i'll get to that he's been Ooh. a werewolf hunter sorry is, he's that, been a, is that a uh, lichen hunter or a werewolf <laughs> he's been a werewolf Ooh. hunter he's been a crime fighter with secret identities he's been a mystic warrior an avenger he's been a violent psychopath um he's been a movie producer he's been a private detective he's been a mental patient plus actor Plus actor. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Okay. Just like the moon itself, Moon Knight is ever-changing and keeps going through different phases. You can always get in touch with us here at Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. You can also um, drop us a line, uh, a shorter line, through our Twitter account at Marvel versus. Um, and of course, we're on Patreon. We'll get to that. Um, we'll, uh, we're bursting because we've been away. We have. We didn't address this at the top. We've been away. We haven't done a regular show in ages. We had uh, an unscripted show, which was. Loads of fun, and we had a uh, we pl- we played the the last episode was uh, our live show, the audio of our incredible Leicester Comedy Festival award winning live show. Um, so it's been a while, man. And the, the mailbag's been building up, and also people really want to talk about Moon Knight. So I, it's bursting on your lap there. Uh, reach into your bag and uh, your big sack, and let us know what's going on. My uh, my, my my container is contained. Uh, first of all, first of all, Tim Drew subscribed on Patreon. What up, Tim? What up? And sent us this awesome show. I started a few months back with the Venom episode. It wasn't the newest episode, just the one that was recommended to me. And I was hooked immediately. That's... Do you remember that was like our first? That wasn't. It was our second. But we were like, we done before the MCU, and yeah. then we were like, what if we did like Venom? So we did, <laughs> we did Spider Man three, as you do. As you then, to. in our special bonus episode on Patreon, we did Secret Wars, which is the origin of the alien costume, his first appearance. Yep. 
And then the month after, or the week after, we did Venom. Um, so we had this, this kind of three episodes. If you were on Patreon, two in the regular things we had this, that was off. And I, I, I thought that was really cool. There's some really cool history we got to divulge there, like how Venom was originally going to be a female character. Um, a rejected kind of, uh, idea and concept. Um, yeah, I think that's a really, I think it's a really good couple of episodes there. It, it was, it was. It, I, I think we have the best time when we don't necessarily love the movie. I don't want to. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to dump on Venom. It's not a terrible movie, but I'm not particularly keen on it. But we do have an interesting time talking about it when we're not. 100% I I think on. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the movie is. Yeah. The 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 history that we go into, the yes. trivia, yes. the background, the comics, the stories. Whether, it doesn't matter what the movie is like, man. Whether or not there's a, a link to Stiltman, you know, it's everything has their pluses and minuses. And Stiltman's successor. Lady Stiltman. Lady Stiltman. What else did Tim say? He said, uh, if you ever do another DC episode, I'd love to hear Batman 89. Okay, so that is definitely going to happen, right? Yes, and we it has to happen. Was, so what we're going to do is, the plan is to do Batman 1989. Michael Keaton is returning to Batman. That's happened. It's in the Flash movie. So when the new Flash movie comes out, we're going to do the next DC edition on Batman 1989. That was scheduled for the uh, winter of this year. But then the incredibly um, well put together on, on message and on brand DC movies decided to delay the movie to next year for some reason. So I don't know, man. I I, I don't. I, I want it to hit. What I want to look at Batman nineteen eighty nine when Michael Keaton is back in the cowl in cinemas. I I won't rush it. I don't think we should rush it. I don't think we should do it for no. I think. I think it would be only right to do it then, right, Will? It's, it's like, the most perfect time, and I it is. really hope um, nothing else happens to prevent that. I hope Ezra Miller calms down a bit. And we're both chomping at the bit to do it, but. Uh, the thing is, Tim, I I would like from a publicity standpoint, it'd be stupid for us to do it at a time when Michael Keaton and Batman isn't back in the news, right? Mm. But also from just like a, a loving the character, loving the movie, loving the actor, I just really want to make it happen when Keaton's back on screen in the greatest Batman costume of all time as the greatest Batman of all time. So, yeah, we're going to have to wait until that Flash movie comes out, I'm just, afraid. Just to, let you know, uh, just to let you know, Tim, I am on your side. I think about doing this episode constantly. I am ready to do it. Ready and willing to do Batman 89. But all in good time. There is lots to look forward to before then. Uh, and Tim continues. He continues. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you suck. <laughs> uh, you've lost a patron subscriber. <laughs> and now I've done the right thing. It's time for Rob to do the right thing. X-Men Last Stand. Oh, not another one. Preferably with plenty of Simpsons references. Preferably. Pre oh, man. that's Yes, please. The masses will not be silenced, Rob. The masses will right. not okay. be silent. Okay, Tim. We're gonna we've got a lot of stuff happening with spon new sponsors and t shirts. Once we get through that, we're gonna see if you people 
you are people. willing if you if you actually want it to happen if you actually are willing to put your money where your mouth is and make me do it we're going to set up a kickstarter go for me kind of thing and if you people genuinely have it in you to force me to do it then we'll see then we'll see so a couple of months down the line a couple of months down the line because otherwise i would just say do it after straight after we record this i'm doing it no I'm gonna do it gonna do, do it on it. your own Okay. He continues. Thanks again for putting out such great content. It really helps me get through my work day. One last thing, just a thought. But what about tweaking your format just a tad and letting Will read only the Marvel comics from your recommended reading is, list? I feel so... Do, do you know what it's called, Rob? It's called empathy. I feel so <laughs> bad that he has to miss so many great stories just so we can all benefit from his misery. Thank you, Tim, for being for recognising me, not as a man of ignorance, but a, but a victim of, of a horrible... <laughs> Horrible bully that is Rob. You agreed to this format and this show. You threatened to leak my nudes on the internet again. You might not have thought it would last two years. Tim, you know what, Tim? That might be my least favourite new subscriber message. Two, two things I continually talk out against. I'm not doing X-Men 3 Last Stand, and Will is not allowed to read Marvel comics. It shatters the format of the show. And there's so many of them. I, I, every mailbag, there's some person talking about either of those subjects, and I won't have it. Tim, we'll get back to you. Move on. Little bit, little but I mean, thanks for joining. We love you. You're part of the family now, Tim. Um, and I'd love to hear from you. I'd want to hear now you've joined us. Um, I want to know what your favorite um full length bonus episode is, especially since like we've got that Secret Wars, which includes the first appearance of the the Venom symbiote. So I'd like to hear what you thought about that episode. Um, get back in touch, please, Tim. It's a good thing you changed your tune there because you know a little sprinkling of humility gets <laughs> stamped out again by uh, Mind Fuhrer. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Lewis, Lewis wrote in. Great to hear from you again, Lewis. Congratulations, congrats on your two-year anniversary. Loving anniversary, anniversary. Cheers for two years. Cheers for two years. Cheers for two years. Loving the recent episodes you've put out. Now you've both, you've done both Ghost Rider films. It would be great if you could somehow cover Robbie Ree's appearance in season four of Agents of Shield. I would say the best season of Agents of Shield. Yeah, I mean, we need to, we do need to cover Agent of Shield at some point. Listen, I think we're going to be here forever, and I think we're going to cover everything eventually. How we get through entire seasons of things, it, it is actually significant to find like major characters and their first appearances and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd like to. I mean, you know what, Lewis? Um, we talk a lot about Robbie Ray's in. This month's special full-length bonus episode of um, of the podcast in Age of Conchu, and we talk about him a lot in our Spirits of Vengeance episode um, from last year, I think, on on Patreon. So we do discuss Robbie Ray's exclusively in bonus form. But yeah, yeah, carry on. Yes. Uh, also, in the X Men First Class episode, I was very interested to hear about second mutations. 
Rob, can you tell us about a few more second mutations? Have any of the characters we know and love gone through a second mutation, or is there anyone that would qualify for Obscure Marvel? I don't think they qualify for Obscure Marvel. Beast <clears throat> became essentially a cat-like uh, beast character. You know, previously, when Beast became the blue, furry beast that we know, well, if you're a comic book fan, you'll know from the Avengers and all that kind of time, and and that you'll have seen in um, First Class and, and, and beyond. It, it, around the same time in that Grant Morrison new X-Men series, he... I think he's the first um, secondary mutation that we come across, and it happens off-panel. We actually just have characters talking to him. Yeah. He looks; he suddenly now looks like um, he a, a really large, like his his face now looks like um, a lion or a tiger with a great big mane of blue mm. hair, um, which is very different to the to the type of of beast that we've seen previously. I believe. I might have this wrong. I think Angel gains the ability to heal the sick with his by touching them, kind of playing into the Angel thing, I guess somehow. Yeah. Um. Obviously, uh, Emma Frost develops the Diamond Hard skin uh, condition. I can't think of any other major ones. We'll save it for, 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 for another time. We can look into it. Maybe it would be a bonus episode all in itself. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Anyway, Sam from the world... Oh, wait a minute. I did finish Lewis's letter. Yes, yeah, sorry. Sometimes I, I lose track where I am. We're on to the next letter. Sam from the World Class Wrecking Crew says, Listen to both Planet Hulk and World War Hulk yesterday on my way back from Dover to Devon. Oosh. D to D. So, I mean, I, I go from A to B, but he went from D to D. Mm. That was terrible. <laughs> they definitely helped to stave off the post-ski holiday blues. They were 100% two of the best episodes to date. That's what we're here for. Yep. We hear someone else talk, you help us get through our working day and and these long car journeys. That's what we're about, man. Yeah. The whole time we've been in existence, we've been told by people, your episodes are too long and this is not how to do a podcast. They should be half an hour or just an hour long and it should just be chat. No, it's not what we're about, not what we do. We want to make sure Sam can get from Dover to Devon and not have to think about how his holiday is over. And that's what we're here for. Exactly, that's what we're here for. Learning about different character traits within Hulk and how he, became, how he called out the Illuminati to make them see things from his point of view was brilliant. I really hope we get to see a bit more depth to Hulk in the MCU. That's your, like, that was one of your favorite, I know that's one of your oh, favorite episodes, yeah. that... that um world war hulk specifically i know and the ending of it and i don't like him that much as a character i think he's very one note but that was brilliant i for me personally i think the thing about modern comics yeah. is that if a great writer is writing a character they can do great things it doesn't matter yeah. really doesn't matter what the character is like almost it's like alan moore with swamp thing that's one of the greatest comic runs i've ever read and that was your recommendation yeah, it's great, yeah. That's right, folks. I am allowed to read some comics. <laughs> he is, yeah. Absolutely love Moonlight so far and really intrigued to see where it goes and how he could fill 
how he could or will f- uh, fit into the large MCU picture. Oscar Isaac gets the humour just right, and his English accent is also pretty decent. Eh. In the post, in the credit scenes, the it is pretty decent. It's it's decent. it's not for it's not American. terrible. It's not bad. It's, it's yeah. I think it's better than average for someone from a, from an from a foreigner doing a British accent. It's better than average, which is pretty decent. It's pretty good. I want to hear them do a Midlands accent. Me too, of course. You, the, the language of Shakespeare. Uh, new viral video that went round with uh, Frank Skinner uh, that said that the closest to Elizabethan, the closest to Shakespeare's language is the West Mids is the brummy black country accent. I I, th- I think Peaky Blinders might have the popularity of that. Might is it, is it popular in the US? I don't think a single. There's, I don't think there's a single West Midlands accent in that program. But okay. They're Brummies. That's West Midland, isn't it? No, there's not a single Brummy accent in that show. Uh, okay, there we go. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's a di- it's it's the Dick Van Dyke of, right. of the West Mids. It they're, really is. They're, yeah, they're, they're they're not Brummy. They just sound depressed. Uh, <laughs> in the credit scenes, the moon is getting fuller with each episode that goes past. It's a really nice little touch. I didn't know. I hadn't noticed didn't that. Man, notice that. That's no. really nice. That's well yeah, good eye. Good eye. Out of interest, how many personalities does Stephen slash Mark have? P.S. You definitely deserve to win the best online event award. Of course we did. Course best we podcast did. ever award, as far as I'm concerned. How many personalities does he have? We will. I mean, Will's got that question coming yeah. up. Um, mm. he, he, he's, he specifically put that one forward. We're going to get to it. Don't go anywhere. George Bingham decided to upgrade his pledge. Oh, he did. I know. Well, now we have to do something. <laughs> We're going to have to think about all these lovely people who are who love us. That world-class wrecking crew keeps growing and growing. The Do You Right Thing tier has has really kept growing. Um, Absolutely. We re- and, and we've got, we are we've so got a plan you. to reward them. We're going to... It's going to be infrequent, but it's going to be some video, uh, specific video, exclusive specific video rewards... Um, since our last one went down so well on Patreon, but yeah, this is a yeah. You, let's let's have a look. What, what does George say? Things to come, George. Anyway, hello, you too. George says after listening to the World War Hulk episode five times and laughing my head off to the latest obscure Marvel episode, I realised I should be giving more. I That's sh- right. I should be doing the right thing. So I've now. That's right. I have now upgraded to the twenty pound tier. My my word, that is. I'm so. I'm stoked. I am stoked on Trent. Uh, I have started watching Moon Knight, and it might be the best series yet. I love the idea of a man who doesn't know who he is or what is happening to him. Also, the opening scene of the first episode was amazing. It put me on edge as I have no idea who Moon Knight was, and that's an experience I've not had yet with any series or movie in the MCU. Also, thank you for two years. That's really key. That is, that is, I was about to say thank you for two years of Marvel versus Marvel. That's the end of his letter. But it is key. And Isn't it, we're, man? We're going to discuss it because, as I said, there was no mention of other, no tie-in. There's, it, it, it feels like it's in an entirely different universe, and that's what I, I, I'm enjoying about it. And what what is reflected, the audience don't know what's going on, and Stephen Grant doesn't know what's going on. That's wonderful symmetry yes um, that to the is experience some, that is good that is good it's symmetry. really really good and look let's just take a little moment back to look at what george said 
Yeah. Right? He said, I realized I should be giving more. He's already... He George for you for those of you who don't know George Bingham is already one of our subscribers on Patreon. He already pledges ten pounds the VIEP tier. He's already getting full length bonus episodes every month. He's already getting obscure Marvel mini episodes every month. He's already getting uh, early access to every single episode the week before. But George Bingham says. I should be giving more. I should be doing the right thing. He doubled his pledge. And what does he get for that? He gets nothing but a thank you. Nothing but a well done. Nothing but a attaboy. Nothing but, you know, exclusive membership to that world-class wrecking yeah. crew that do the right thing to you. Because he recognises that that's where he should... That that's what we deserve for giving all this to you, Right? Yeah, I mean, shout out George Bingham, and we're going to have a very special way to reward our uh, twenty pound tier coming up very soon. Anyone else in the mailbag? Anyone else in the mailbag? Oh, we got we 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 still have some more to get through. Uh, Zach Thomas weighed in on Moon Knight. Hey guys, I'm really enjoying the Moon Knight series so far. I knew virtually nothing about him until the show began, and I'm loving learning about him. I can see how the comic book version of Moon Knight is very much like Batman, especially with the comic book Stephen being a millionaire businessman. I like the changes they made to the character to separate him from the other characters. I also think that they did a, they, they are doing a decent job at portraying disassociative identity disorder uh, and the different alters that Mark Spector has. Thank you, Zach. World Class Wrecking Crew again in full effect. Uh, everyone's loving this uh, Moon Knight series. That's great to hear. Oh, I thought you were going to say say something more. Nope. I've, uh, never mind. Anyway, Eric Cotton dropped us a line. I'm thoroughly enjoying the MCU version of Moon Knight so far. The comics really haven't given us a definitive take on him yet, and I think the MCU may have done it. From the that's that's a great observation from Eric. Yeah, that's a really great observation. I, I, this is a character we're seeing that does not have a definitive iteration. I mean, sure, I'll nod and agree because I don't know. From the way the suits are linked to the different personalities, to the humour, it's, fr it's a fresh and welcome angle to take with the story. It has also eased the MCU fatigue that I felt was starting to set in. Every show and movie for the last few years has been the furthering of existing character stories. Also, starting in the middle of an ongoing story is a great way to handle a new character. Viewers no longer need to have their hands held through a conventional origin story anymore. Thank you. So thanks again. That's so... I, Eric, I want you to write in all the time, man. I didn't notice, that I didn't see this as either an origin or not. I mean, to me, it feels... It, 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 there's an origin Well, we're going to get there. I'm, I'm, we've got loads more episodes. We've got a bunch more episodes to go. I'm, I don't think they're going to leave us hanging. They're going to explain things. This is the problem I've seen, right? It, what, what I've seen online is this thing of the twofold of... You gen the, the hate that there's a lot there's some negativity towards this show and it's generally I'm annoyed that this is not I can't binge this in one go I'm annoyed it's episodic and every show every Disney Plus show gets that and I'm annoyed that after two episodes 
or three episodes, I don't know everything. Why don't I know everything? Why didn't? It, why wasn't the first episode an origin story? And Eric just so brilliantly points it out. Yeah. How many years have we had? Over ten years now of the origin, right? Mm. We don't need that anymore. We're going to get to it. We start in media resin, and we're going to get to it. We are tracking Stephen Grant through this, who doesn't know what's going on. When it's revealed to Stephen Grant, I believe we, the audience, will also discover what the whole deal is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Astute observations from Eric Dare. I really love that. There was something else he said that I really liked the idea. Oh, yeah, what I, I I agree with them wholesale. I think since Shang-Chi, Eternals, and this, we've had three big projects now that are not tied to the previous Infinity, whatever you want to call it, saga. Well, there, there, okay, with Eternals, there was a mention. Just be careful. Yeah, 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 but it's not. It's, it really isn't tied to it. It really isn't. And Sh- Shang-Chi, there was a little... It's not tied to it. It's not, man. Those these three things have been really just yeah. breaking out into a brand new world, brand new villains, brand new heroes. I'm re- like the- striding out there. And those are two films I'm really looking forward to discussing with you because we do not agree on them. <laughs> that's the- and that's nope. We do not agree on them, and I'm really looking forward to talking more about it. One of us is right, and one of us is wrong. So that's going to be fun. Thanks again for your show. It's the best comic-based podcast out there, if not just the best podcast. You got damn right, Eric. Oh, yeah. Tell all your friends, your neighbours to scream from the rooftops if you have access to rooftops. Uh, Cody, Cody, Cody! Ah! Hey, guys. Long time, no chat. Life has been busy, but good overall. Great to hear, Cody. Thank the Lord. But I've been listening uh, and enjoying all the episodes you guys have been putting out. These Hulk episodes have been crazy good. I've always liked the Hulk, but never have been interested in picking up a comic about him over another hero I was interested in. This Planet Hulk and World War Hulk has been so good, I plan on putting them at the top of my list to buy along with the future imperfect stories you guys did several months ago. Keep up the good work, guys. Also, like, oh yeah, sorry. How much great feedback and response have we had from those Hulk shows? Incredible. Planet Hulk Incredible. and our bonus episode. Oh, incredible. Planet oh, Hulk. Oh, you get... And Sad our man. bonus episode, World War Hulk, which is the direct sequel. World War Hulk is hands down our most popular um, full length bonus episode we've ever had. Like the the response we had to it on Patreon from the subscribers, from the world class wrecking crew, everyone there, from the VIEPs, from everybody, was been immense. Um, and the feedback we've had from the Planet Hulk episode was really good as well. That was a bit of a risk. Our first ever direct dvd movie never done that before that's opened some doors and some other things we're going to do down the line as well to explore the ultimate universe that's going to be quite exciting and sexy hey I, I, um, I'm, I'm up for that it's all marvel it's all good and it opens great doors for episodes um but yeah man if you're not if you've not got the chance to hear the world war hulk episode there's only one place to go and get it maybe indeed Cody continues. Also, I have a quick question for Rob about some comics. I know you have mentioned a few times on the show about this kind of renaissance of the Marvel comics when Bendis kind of took charge starting around the time of Avengers Disassembled. What story, in your opinion, does that end with? 
Like if I wanted to go read all the major events from Disassembled to the end, what would the final event be? Good question. This doesn't include I think the sync I think what was happening in the solo comics, like Captain America particularly, was still really, really, really strong and, and Iron Man and stuff. But the major like crossover events that were re- from Avengers Disassembled and House of M on through Civil War and stuff, they were they were really, really strong until I think Siege. Siege is, I believe, the last Bendis one, um, which is it's the end of this Dark Reign story where Norman Osborn is essentially in charge of Shield slash America. Um, and he decides to invade Asgard <laughs> with his Dark <laughs> Avengers. Um, now, I must admit, although Siege did wrap up a lot of plots and kick off uh, and, and bring some characters back and stuff, I didn't think Siege was particularly good. I think Siege was... Yeah, I thought Secret Invasion was really good. Um, there are aspects of Civil War that are really good, things like that. And Civil War is great for what it did for comics ongoing outside of the actual event. I thought Siege was a bit of a letdown, really. Um, but that's what I consider the end. The next event after that is something called Fear Itself, which is also, in my opinion, not a very good crossover mega event. And Brian Michael Bendis isn't involved in that, mm. and so I, I, yeah, I'd consider it Avengers disassembled through to Siege, um, and that does actually kind of close a loop. Then, so yeah, uh, that's what I'm going to say, Cody. Cody, right? Any more that, in that mailbag? That that is the biggest mailbag we've had yet. Mega, mega mailbag. We've been away for a while, bro. Yeah. Uh, honeymoons and time off and everything, and we've got to let people listen to our uh, award-winning uh, epi- live show that was recorded a long time ago and all that kind of jazz. So uh, it's great to be back in the saddle. Huge shout-out to, of course, the people that really matter, that really make it happen. Peter J, Mikey W, Zach Thomas, Randall Schmidt, George Bingham, Bastabeer. And Sam, the world-class wrecking crew, are guys that do the right thing at the top-tier level. Listen, you know what we're... We're giving you the definitive Moon Knight here, just like we gave you the definitive Superman, just like we decided to go and take a look at things like Planet Hulk to dive into uh, Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. We do it all. The animated universe, animated movies, DC, MCU... Disney Plus, and you're sitting back there <laughs> on your hands, a lot of you, and you're not giving us what we deserve, what we're owed, what we need, what the show needs to go forward, to continue, to move on, to do incredible things like the live show, which cost me and Will a pretty penny to put together for you guys. Indeed. You're out there consuming content, and you're not out there contributing. That's okay. You can get clean. You can save your souls. You can cleanse yourselves. You need to head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel where you can sign up, you can pledge, you can give us some of that cheddar, cheddar bills. You can make yourself an important part of this podcast, right? For just three British English pounds a month, you can make yourself an important part of this podcast. And in exchange... You can get access to this incredible bonus um, content, 
and privileges which we gift to you. Every single person that pledges gets access to Obscure Marvel, our spin-off show, where me and Will dive into the most ridiculous and insane characters in the history of Marvel. This month it has been... The armadillo. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Will challenged me to find the most tragic character the biggest in the loser. history. The biggest loser. The, the biggest most tragic loser. Yeah. They're all losers, but the tragic loser and the tragedy of the armadillo, the cockadillo, um, <laughs> was uh, one to behold. And look, Obscure Marvel drops every month for everybody. Even at £3 tier, you get access to that. Um We've got our early access tier where you can listen to these episodes the week before the rest of the world. If you go to the £10 tier, the VIEP, the very important executive producer tier, then you guys can get access to our full-length bonus episodes. You've heard the, 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 the gushing praise for World War Hulk. This month, this month, our full-length bonus episode spins directly out of this Moon Knight first look as we inspect... The most bombastic, the biggest, the most balls of the wall Moon Knight story ever told. It's Moon Knight versus the Avengers. It's Mephisto. It's the Phoenix. It's the Stone Age Avengers. Baby, it's Age of Conchu on that full length <laughs> bonus Patreon episode. Will, like, what did you think of this, experiencing this for the first time, Age of Conchu? I I really enjoyed it. It's up there for me. It's up it's up there with the big ones like Age of uh, Age of Apocalypse. It was wow, an really immense story. Immense it really story. is. It dates all the way back to the Stone Age of the Marvel Universe. We talk about the prehistoric forces that have protected and guided the uh, the Earth since the dawn of man. Yes, it's really. Um, an incredible Black Panther story as well. Oh, yes, it features, I remember now. It features Blade and Captain Marvel and Captain America. And it also features Mark Spector. It features the Moon Knight and some of the wildest things he has ever, ever done. And that is exclusive to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. The VIEP tier, 10 English pounds a month will get you access. Um, you get access to everything. If you're at that tier, you get all the obscure Marvel episodes, you get the early access, and you get all the bonus content, the bonus episodes as well. Over 30 bonus episodes for you to get through. You can't get through them in just a month. You'll be with us for longer than a month. We know what's going to happen. Um, so... If you want more Moon Knights, if you want more Marvel versus Marvel, if you want to stop taking the piss, right? <laughs> if you want to actually contribute instead of just consuming, then head over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. We've done the mega mailbag. We've paid some bills and paid attention to the people that really matter. We've like the table, we've talked about the locations and the production notes on this Disney Plus TV series. We've dived into the behind-the-page history of this character. Uh, Will, you've well, we've watched like halfway through the season right now. Yep, we're going to get this out there before the, uh, the 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 series of Moon Knight comes to an end. I think we know. We might there may be some surprises along the way, but I think we've got some questions about 
everything we've seen so far. So take it away. What would you like to know? Okay, the first one is the big one. What is Moon Knight's origin story and how does he become Moon Knight? Because no one dresses like that out of choice. <laughs> well, why is it in practical colour? In his original appearance in, in Werewolf by Night, mm. um, it's, a, it's a, a, a shady group of criminals called The Committee, mm. and they want to hire someone uh, who can actually fight and beat a werewolf so that they can capture it. Okay. So they can turn it to their personal assassin, basically. These shady underworld figures have sought out the mo- the most dangerous mercenary in the world, according to them, and that is Mark Spector. Um, he is described by these underworld figures thusly, soldier of fortune, mercenary, Veteran of three African wars, Ooh. five South American revolutions, a brief flirtation with the CIA, weapons expert, versatile practitioner of virtually all the martial arts, ex-prize fighter, and former Marine commando. He's a bad, bad dude with a bad, bad resume. Plus actor. <laughs> you can't do that twice in one show. It's called a callback, Rob. Get with it. <sighs> okay. So Mark Spector is summoned uh, before the committee who gift him this special costume, not of white, but of silver. Ah, okay. Silver and black is the costume um, with a, a cape and a mask. Um, and the mask in the first couple of appearances, the Moon Knight mask like, has no features to it whatsoever. And... A couple of people in these first appearances say that it looks like ectoplasm. Now, <laughs> okay, the the ectoplasm we might think if we forget Ghostbusters for a minute. Yeah, that's all I can think how, about. That is all I can how, think about. How ectoplasm was presented in the early days of this kind of like um, mm. mysticism uh, craze in America and in the UK was that it was horrible visages of faces that had like hollowed out darkness for kind of eyes oh, and no. a little darkness for an open and and then a dark a little little touch of darkness for a screaming mouth but there was no mouth there was no nose there were no eyes it was it was like shading yeah. in ectoplasm to give uh, the, the 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 kind of the impression of facial features and that's what moon knight has so your point of him looking at the top of the show, like a ghost, like like kind of a Casper, a poltergeist type figure, mm. is very, very what they were kind of going for. Right. Um, he's also given some very special weaponry: silver blades to mm. kill a werewolf, um, shaped like the crescent moon. Um, just, and just these, to hammer it home. <laughs> yeah, like whoever was designing the outfit for the committee was really was a really great freelancer who mm. wanted to like really nail his job. Yeah. Um, and this originally uh, Moon Knight has something that we actually saw when we looked at Planet Hulk. I forget the actual name of them, but the Roman gladiator gauntlet mm. that has on the knuckle spikes. So when you make a fist and punch someone, you have spikes on the knuckle. Yeah. Um, but this was, again, made entirely of silver. So he could really do some damage to a werewolf. Ooh. Mark Spector dons this this costume, this Moon Knight costume, and gets into a big fight with the werewolf by night, Jack Russell. Um, 
He's doing this, by the way, for the mighty, mighty sum of ten grand. <laughs> uh, but that's nineteen seventies money, I guess. I, I I need a conversion <laughs> to be in awe of that. The fight is no. That's what I'm saying. It sounds kind of pathetic. Yeah. Um, the fight is pretty intense, and it uh, it basically ends in a draw, and it only kind of ends because the sun comes up and Jack turns <laughs> back into a human. What? So it's technical um, disqualification. Yeah, I guess so. TK. <laughs> yeah, TK. Um, at the end of the story, Mark Spector gets paid, um, but then he turns on the committee. He doesn't like... like He was kind of interested in this idea as a fair fight, and he liked the idea of hunting and fighting a werewolf, but when he actually finds out what the committee are going to do, um, they're going to kind of keep him in a cage and turn him into a like a like a, a rabid killer that they're going to unleash on, on people. Mm. Um and they're going to make him a slave, basically. He really doesn't like that. So he frees Jack, and, and he helps him beat up the gangsters, takes the money, uh, and escapes with his new costume, his new weapons, and 10 American thousand, 10,000 American dollars. Um, it feels to me very much like how the Punisher was first introduced in the 1970s. We talked about how um, it, the Punisher was first introduced as a, a villain mm. of the month in the Spider-Man comic. He's brought in as this kind of badass assassin, mercenary, ex-commando, this guy to fight Spider-Man for the real bad guy. But at the end of the story, has a change of heart or finds out something new, turns against the bad guy that hired him, and kind of walks off as this... You know, not necessarily into the sunset, but walks off as this kind of morally grey villain slash not quite villain anti-hero, maybe mm. right. Um, and that feels very much like what they did with Moon Knight here. Okay, but all this changed, right, as an origin story when Moon Knight, as we talked about, was given his own monthly comic book series to the direct market. The caveat that Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief, came up with, his only condition, or one of his only conditions, was that Doug Monch gave Moon Knight a proper origin, like a proper Marvel origin. And so we get, in, I think, issue four of the Moon Knight first series, we get the Mark Spector origin story. This is where we may well be looking at some major, major spoilers for the Disney Plus series ahead. From this point on, in the in the whole episode, we might be looking at major spoilers. So this is the point now where, if you don't want to know any more about what happens in the comic books, you might want to wait until we, we you get to the end of the Moon Knight show. So Mark Spector uh, works as a mercenary for a, a guy called Raoul Bushman. Um, and he works helping a local warlord in the Sudan quell a rebellion of of the people that live in the area. Mm. He um, works alongside another mercenary who he's good friends with called Frenchie, who is a foreign legionnaire type dude. Um, and there's this kind of pole. Like Frenchie is a mercenary soldier of fortune, but he is a good person. Okay. Raoul Bushman is a mercenary, a blood-soaked mercenary, who is clearly a horrific evil person. 
Mm. And Mark Spector is very much like a guy in the middle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, he doesn't quite know which way he f- he's going to fall and what he thinks. He he likes he's not as forthright and moral as Frenchy. He likes money. He likes doing what he does very well as a soldier for money. Um, and he's not, sh- but he's not sure he wants to be one of Bushman's like fully signed up awful awful killers. Mm. He becomes appalled at Bushman's like bloodlust. Um, and and the Bushman targets these civilians that have nothing to do with the war that's going on, um, and during this a series of events that happen, Bushman kills um, someone called Doctor Peter uh, Al Ruan Al Ruan Al Ruan. Um, I don't know uh, an archaeologist um, whose team has recently unearthed a hidden tomb. Um, now, uh, Dr. Peter, I'm just going to call him Dr. Peter, has a daughter <laughs> on his team called uh, Marlene. Um, and the Marlene! Sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> God. <laughs> that, guys, is a very specific reference to Only Fools and Horses. Okay. Mm. Um, Bushman intends to loot the tomb of this pharaoh that they've suddenly uncovered and murder the whole archaeological team that discovered it, kill any witnesses. Spectre does this thing where he um, gets very, very, very aggressive with Marlene, essentially scaring her off, which saves her life from this awful attack by the mercenaries. Spectre then turns on Bushman um, and and tries to stop him from killing people and doing all this awful stuff. Um, But he is essentially beaten terribly badly, shot and stabbed and abandoned in the desert to bleed to death without food, shelter or anyone to help him. Despite this, he manages to crawl his way back to civilization and, and, and the locals carry him into the shelter provided by this ancient pharaoh's tomb, which has been uncovered, and they leave him on the floor there (laughs) before a statue of Khonshu, the moon god, the protector of travellers at night. Marlene has, at this point, realised that what Mark Spector did, he did to save her life earlier, and then she has been spared. And she sees the body, she's alerted by the locals she comes to mourn him as he has clearly appears to be dead Mm. but moments later Mark Spector sits upright revived and apparently alive he claims that he died he claims that he came back to life he claims that he saw the moon god Khonshu who chose him to act as the moon's knight of vengeance, K-N-I-G-H-T, knight of vengeance, who claims he chose him to act as the fist of Khonshu to protect travellers at night um, and to become something bigger than what he has been. Wow. Marlene believes that he is insane. This is just a delusion <laughs> or a dream. You know, he had a very intense physical fight and he was very close to death. And Mark grabs this silver... Um, cloak that has been basically like hanging over the statue of Khonshu it's a bit of cloth basically (laughs) he grabs this silver bit of cloth wraps it around himself as as a cloak with a hood and adopts it and kind Mm. of becomes 
Moon Knight. He goes off, he defeats the mercenaries, including Bushmen, and he comes back to America with Frenchie as his partner and pilot and Marlene um, as as his girlfriend, as his love interest. Um, and he's determined to become a crime fighter now called Moon Knight. Uh, he adopts the costume, the white, uh, well, the silver and, and black costume, the hoodie cloak. Um, when he is asked why he would wear white and silver while operating at night, Moon Knight always answers he is meant to be a light in the darkness Ooh, that's to those that travel at night. Ooh. He is meant to be the light that shines the way and that he and Konshu want their enemies to know he is coming. He wants them to see him as he hits them with the fist of Konshu. That's like reverse Batman. Yes, it is not. It is... 100% right from the beginning. Oh, I know this isn't camouflage. Yeah. That's not the point. Oh, that's good. That is so good. Shoot at me, not at them. And mm. when you do, I'm going to kick your jaw in. Um, <laughs> they then retcon the earlier committee werewolf thing. They explain uh, that. They explained that uh, Mark Spector learned of this like criminal network known as the Committee, and decided to um, accept their assignment as a means of going undercover to work out what they were going to do and to defeat them from within. Fantastic! So we know he's got the he's, he's got the cloak, he's got the silver stuff, he's. He's got a lot of skills, but does Moon Knight have any superpowers? This is really interesting. Yeah, because I I reckon that's going to be interesting. So I've listened to and read a lot of interviews Mm. with Doug Monch about this and how he loved the idea of this ordinary person, this regular mercenary, Mm. you know, becoming a superhero. Not an awful lot of unpowered um, heroes in the Marvel Universe. And I thought that was interesting. So (laughs) I read in research for this Marvel Spotlight, the first two, the first appear, the first solo adventure of Moon Knight, as I said, takes place in in, in Marvel Spotlight. It's after the Werewolf by Night introduction. Mm. It's his first time being like a hero and the lead character. There's two issues of it. And I read this for the first time. And it says here in his second, like, well, his third ever appearance that he does have superpowers after being bitten by the werewolf by night, Jack Russell. Ah. A criminal who is analysing him and talking about like who Moon Knight is says, supposedly as a result of the creature's saliva entering his bloodstream, Moon Knight has been endowed with the extra-normal strength and instinct of a werewolf. Ooh, so he's like Wolverine. Not quite. Maybe that instinct—it's difficult, right? So yeah, hear me out. Yeah. Okay, I'll hear you out. The the, the 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 criminal then goes on to say, most of our sources consider the story a myth. However, the Moon Knight does possess strength far greater than any normal man. Mm. 
That is not the tone that Doug Monch talks about, that anyone else talks about with Moon Knight at all. Um, later on in the story, Mark Spector's thoughts reveal that he believes he gets stronger with the different phases of the moon. That when the moon is full, he is at his strongest. When it is waning and, 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 and a sliver in the sky, he only has slightly enhanced abilities. Okay, okay. This werewolf bit, however, is completely ignored from that <laughs> point onwards. It is never mentioned again. It's inconvenient, Rob. That's why it's inconvenient. And in the in the in the in the two spotlight stories, there's actually mm. very, very little evidence that he has superpowers. It, the the bad guys and their intel that he has been bitten by a werewolf and given powers, they admit their intel might be a bit dodgy. Most of our sources consider this a myth. And there's no instances of him having super strength. For the, for the whole thing, he says, oh, the moon's at his smallest right now, so I don't really have much strength. I, I would normally would, but I don't right now. So we don't see him bend bars or, I don't know, smash things, smash a wall, nothing like that. Very... Odd and interesting. And when Marvel launched the, the monthly Moon Knight comic book series, he is now a completely ordinary dude with no powers. Um, and in, and as I've said in, in, in several interviews from this point on, Doug Monch will claim numerous times that Moon Knight never had any powers when he was writing him, despite the fact it's right there in the Marvel spot, the two Marvel spotlight issues that Doug wrote. But that's Doug, he's not got a great memory for a lot of this stuff. And I'm not entirely sure how much he wants to remember Moon Knight. Um, there's a second Moon Knight series in 1985 called Fist of Konshu, which I got some great back issues of when I was a little kid. Um, from a market stall, I paid 10p an issue. 10 pence an issue. 10 English pence to, an issue. That's what wow. I used to pay... And the super strength theme returns in this series, Moon Knight Fist of Khonshu. In Egypt, Mark Spector meets priests of Khonshu from a cult who supply him with a new arsenal of moon-themed weaponry, uh, a particular belt, some gauntlets, things, and they declare that he will now be a true vengeance avatar, the Fist of Khonshu. And in this story, it is said by priests and believed by Mark Spector that the moon god Khonshu then blesses him with increased strength depending on how much moonlight sh is shining down. So a repetition of that mm. thing earlier with the with the werewolf bit, right? But only no longer connected to a werewolf, now connected to Khonshu. But in subsequent stories, this enhanced strength is explained away because subsequent writers don't like the idea of Mark Spector having superpowers. So they want to write him as just a normal, you know, well-trained soldier. So they explain it away as being a delusion of Mark Spector's. That he fell under the sway of these priests of Khonshu. And he has such a heightened, like, insane level of devotion to Khonshu. That he essentially hypnotized himself into having bursts of adrenaline during the full moon mm. which does boost his natural strength but that it's not anything mystic 
within the confines of that 85 Moon of uh, Fist of Conscious series, it's fully mystic. He's fully mystically empowered, enhanced by a god. Outside of that, all the writers said, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, mech up the, don't mess up the story I want to tell. <laughs> there is also, as Will Preston sitting before me well knows, a story where Mark Spector gains enough power to defeat the entire Avengers to beat Doctor Strange, to beat Ghost Rider, the ability to walk on the moon and become the new goddamn phoenix. That, my friends, is a story that we tell in Age of Konshu, the uh, the full-length bonus episode for this month on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. Do the right thing. In the comic books, though... Does uh, Moon Knight have a split personality? Because that could be quite tricky to tell, wouldn't it? That would that would that would muddy up the narrative, wouldn't it? It it's a process. A process. So, okay. In in his very first solo adventure in Marvel Spotlight, we're introduced to the fact that Mark Spector has created a series of secret identities to mm. help him fight crime. Yeah. Instead of like all the DC characters have a secret identity. Mm-hmm. Mark Spector has more than one to help him fight crime. Yeah. With his ill-gotten gains from his mercenary life, he kind of plumbed that into Wall Street and speculated on the market and created an absolute fortune from it. And he uses this to create the cover identity of Stephen Grant, a Wall Street millionaire businessman who essentially exists to launder Mark Spector's dirty money Mm. through businesses invest it in the stock market and provide the funding that Moon Knight needs for his weapons and his infrastructure and his transportation and also the high society contacts that you might require if you're investigating corruption and organized crime Mm. but that would cut him off from the street level rumors shenanigans and stories that are going on so to keep his ear close to the street specter creates another identity jake lockley a cab driver with shady contacts in the criminal underworld who funnel information back to him and to mark specter and to moon knight so he is essentially moon knight is the is the superhero and his a Mark Spector is the real man, and he has two secret cover identities: Stephen Grant, the millionaire; mm. Jake Lockley, the street-level cab dude. But Mark Spector is the guy that created all these all these things, right? Yeah. It's just cover identities in the same way that Moon Knight is for Mark Spector. When Doug. Monster decided to give Moon Knight three different secret identities. It was it was entirely to make writing all the different plots easier. Like yeah. he said, Oh, if I make him a doctor or a fireman or a businessman, each of those things restricts the kind of stories I can tell. Yeah. But if I make him all three, then the scope of what I can write is so much bigger. And it's it's never been done before in a superhero comic. It's new. To, I, he said, I always wanted to do things that people wouldn't expect and to yeah. subvert what people thought was going to happen. So, yeah, three secret identities never been done before. Over time, Mark Spector begins to become too involved in his cover identities. 
he begins to play the roles a bit too well. His voice would become completely different when he changes between identities. His body language would shift as well. And so they started to become this very interesting component of Moon Knight stories. And 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 this evolved into the idea that actually they had stopped being cover identities and he'd become like lost in the characters he was playing. Mm. And that they'd actually become entirely separate personalities that he had. Now, one second. You're right. Yeah, chair broke. Um, oh no! Now, I it always thought that this is something that evolved over time in the Moon Knight monthly series. Mm. But again, from reading Marvel Spotlight for the first time to research. This uh, this episode, the two sort of original Moon Knight solo stories, the threads of that idea are right there at the start. the 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 language that the dialogue that Doug uses, Doug Munch uses, is very very telling. He when Mark Spector changes between identities from Stephen Grant to Mark Spector to Jake Lockley, he actually sa- thinks to himself twice in one night. These schizo quick changes are wearing me out. And in the second issue, he says, I've got to flirt with schizophrenia again and make a quick change to Jake Lockley. Now, these are likely to just be throwaway lines at the time. But it's clear that this idea, schizophrenia, which is not what it's called anymore, you know, that was just a buzz term in the 70s. But this idea of of mental health and and the kind of like perhaps the movie fictional fictionalized movie kind of version of split identities and schizophrenia was something that was that that, that Doug Munch had read about, seen in a movie, read in a book, and was mm. playing on his mind, and he wanted to involve it in 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 the comics. And yeah, as the as the monthly stories went on, he became lost in these split personalities, and that developed over the years into Moon Knight being regarded and well-known in the Marvel Universe by other characters as the crazy guy in the cape. (laughs) There's a time when he completely managed to essentially leave the split personalities behind, be fully Mark Spector. Um, But that didn't last. Again, another writer came along and and got rid of that because they liked the idea of the... The split identities is certainly one of the most unique things about Moon Knight, and one of the most unique things that you see in in superhero comics. Um, Brian Michael Bendis wrote a short-lived Moon Knight series in 2011. Um, Mark Spector goes off to Los Angeles, where he, um, or is it is it Mark Spector? What, is, he another- is it Mark Spector or is it Stephen Grant? I think Stephen Grant goes off to... Right. No, it is Mark. Anyway, he goes off to Los Angeles and becomes a director ah. and writer and executive producer and creates an action-adventure TV series based on the life of Mark Spector. Um, and during this time, like the other, the other two identities, Stephen Grant and Jake Lockley, are no longer kind of in the picture. And instead, Mark Spector displays three new alter egos Ooh. based on imitating the personalities 
of Spider-Man, Wolverine, and Captain America. So Moon Knight now has those three voices in his head, those three personalities manifesting themselves. Shall I tackle this problem as as the way Wolverine would? Shall I tackle this problem the way Captain America would? It even leads to him dressing up and impersonating Spider-Man as he gets into a wild brawl in a Hollywood strip club, which doesn't do Spider-Man's reputation any good. Amazing. Amazing. So speaking on the on uh, similar to other personalities, we've seen a lot. We've seen Moonlight wearing a white suit and white gloves in the show, and mm. I've seen this name bandied around a lot online. <laughs> Rob, who is Mister Knight? So that's who Stephen Grant turns into in the in the series. Mm. He turns into this character that he summons the. Some, costume. Summon the suit. That's something. That's something I forgot to mention in the superpower section. Summoning the suit is not a thing. Oh, yes, that's actually... not a thing. Moon Knight can do. It's just. Co- it's just cloth. It's just, it's costume. It's just material that he puts on. They've there's actually. No... They, they invented that for the MCU thing then to make it. Yeah, there's no magic suit that that comes out of nowhere. I like the magic suit that comes out of nowhere. I like it a lot. Mister Knight. Whilst it is completely different to what we see in the TV show, in the TV show, um, Mister Knight is not a fully blown separate personality. Okay, Mister Knight is a concept introduced by Warren Ellis on on two occasions when he wrote the character. I didn't know Warren Ellis was involved with that. Many many writers have been involved with Moon Knight. Yeah, <laughs> wow. In 2010, Warren Ellis takes over the writing duties of, of a series called Secret Avengers. Mm. So this was meant to be like an undercover team of Avengers ran by Steve Rogers to do things kind of off the books and not in the public eye. Steve Rogers recruits Moon Knight for his legendary military skills, soldiering skills, to be used on secret missions. This is at a time when Stephen Grant has become the dominant personality of Moon Knight, not Mark Spector. Mark's okay. taking a back seat. Stephen Grant at the time decides that because this is an undercover team, um, he, and Moon Knight does not want to be like recognized on these missions, he ditches the cape, the cowl, the whole costume, and instead he goes about these jobs wearing a white suit, white gloves, and a faceless white kind of ectoplasm mask, calling himself. Mr. Knight on these missions. Mm. It's not that he's meant to look like a regular person. It's just that he's meant to look like a weird new person that can't really be traced back to the Avengers. Okay. Then in 2014, Warren Ellis is involved in the uh, the, the the relaunch of Moon Knight. He has a, a very short stint on the, moon, the new Moon Knight comic. Um, but it starts in, in 2014 with issue one that Warren Ellis writes. And this is a time then when Mark Spector is back in control as the dominant personality, not Stephen Grant. This kind of fresh version of Moon Knight fights crime in a different way than he ever has before. For a lot of cases, he acts almost as a detective. He cooperates with the police mm. and is consulted on strange and terrifying crime scenes. And whenever he deals with the police, he cannot do so as Moon Knight because Moon Knight is a wanted criminal. 
But there are some police officers that, that he has known for many, many years that do need his help. So he wears his white suit, gloves, and mask and interacts with them as Mr. Knight, a concerned citizen, <laughs> which <laughs> gives the police this kind of grey area of plausible deniability when working with him. Ah, uh, right, okay. They can say to their superiors, I don't know who you're talking about. Moon Knight's the guy in the the superhero guy in the cape, right? No, there's this quirky Mr. Knight who talks to us and helps us and consults on cases, but he's just a quirky detective. You know, like Monk. Like Monk. So, <laughs> so Mr. Knight is is not a fully realized separate personality right like Stephen Grant or, or Jake Lockley because it's it's a it's a tool that has been used by both Stephen Grant and Mark Spector at, at various times. Now could he go on to become a fully realized split personality like they did? Well they started as cover identities once so it's entirely possible, yeah, that Mr. Knight could become uh, a different, a completely different identity um, in in Mark's mind, but but he is not as of this moment. Okay, okay. What about what about uh, someone bigger then? How about Conchu, the Egyptian god of the moon? Ah, well. <laughs> Make a swig of beer for the working man. Hold on. Yeah, it's going to be a big one, isn't it? We now get the question, is Konshu real? Yeah. Or is Konshu another one of Mark Spector's delusions? Hmm. His death in the desert, his origin, yeah, always kind of plays to me like that scene in Pulp Fiction. Which scene? Where the, the the kid shoots point blank at Jules and Vincent, opens fire again yeah. and again, nothing happens, and the bullets just uh, they don't hit them, but hit the wall behind them. Divine intervention. Is it divine intervention? Well, that's what uh, that, he claimed. Right, that that's was what the somebody argument. says. That's what somebody says. They say it's they not claim- an argument. It's just what someone says. Yeah, that's right? why I was. It's a weird. To. It's it's a weird thing that happens, right? Yeah. In the Moonlight Origin, like you don't. You don't see him ripped open and bleeding to death, and he's definitely dying. You don't see any of that. You see a guy who's been badly beaten up and, and attacked. Get up. Oh. And put a cloak on and, and, and tell everyone he's dead, and he came back to life. Like, did he really die? Yeah, I get I get that. Who? It's not like we, the reader, see Konshu as like an Odin character bringing Mark back to life, we, the reader, only get Mark's version of the story, the same as Marlene and the other witnesses, right? Yeah. He just gets up in front of a a statue of Khonshu and starts ranting and raving about how an Egyptian moon god brought him back to life and now he has to work (laughs) for him. And crucially, no one who's with him then believes that that is true or real. In fact, for the rest of the entire like Moon Knight series, when he goes back to um, America, Frenchie doesn't believe anything like that happened. And his girlfriend, Marlene, doesn't believe that, that it happened. She doesn't believe Conchu is real. None of them do. Hmm. Sometimes we see Mark talking to Conchu. But is that real? Or is that like when he talks to the mirror? 
Ah. And he's talking to another personality. Is he just talking to himself? So does Conchu exist? Or is this just another voice in Mark Spector's head like he goes on to have with Stephen Grant and John Lockley? Jake Lockley. And there have been some stories over the years where it does look like Conchu is definitely real. But then there are other stories where it looks a lot more like it's just a delusion. Right. For 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 me personally, I've I've preferred I've always preferred the Moon Knight stories that play it down the middle. Where you can read the comic one of two ways. You can read it that Mark Spector is this kind of chosen avatar of Conchu. Conchu doesn't communicate with anybody else, only with Mark Spector. Mm. Or you can read it and go, wow, this guy is insane. (laughs) And he keeps talking to a thing in his head. In the 2014 uh, kind of relaunch series that, that Warren Ellis was writing, and in his run, he introduces really a classic slice of Ellis-style cosmic horror into the Moon Knight mythos. He has Mark Spector decide to deal with mental health in a better way, and and he goes off with a a psychologist and has repeat sessions to try and determine what's going on. And this psychologist determines that Mark Spector does not have disassociative identity disorder. Okay. As has been hypothesized in the past. Mm. He does not have a form of schizophrenia. This psychologist says that what has happened is Mark Spector has brain damage due to his brain being physically altered by Konshu, who Ah. is a real entity from another cosmic dimension. Right. That has altered Mark Spector as a result uh, altered Mark Spector right Mm. to create a conduit between his cosmic reality and dimension and our world almost like an avatar like an avatar and his only way of getting through is via Mark Spector's mind and Mark Spector's personalities different personalities are a result of his mind adjusting to the four different aspects of Konshu's nature. The four different aspects are the traveler, the pathfinder, the embracer, and the defender of those who travel at night. And so we have in that Mark Spector, Jake Lockley, Stephen Grant, and Moon Knight as the four different aspects of the person to represent the different aspects of the different stages and phases of Moon Knight. And this is one that takes root by this kind of thing of, you know, like, Mark Spector used to be a normal dude. He didn't have any of this. (laughs) And he got beat up and shot and stabbed and nearly died in the desert. And then when he kind of, like, came back from that, he suddenly had all these different ideas and aspects of himself. And Warren Ellis's story is this that saying that, oh, that's because that's when Konshu like hollowed started hollowing out his brain uh, to get into our world. Uh, there we go. And this physical damage to the brain, you know, created these different personalities. Ooh. Ow. However, in classic Moon Knight fashion, almost as soon as this idea is introduced, the next writer that comes along kind of scraps that to aside. And says, no, 
Mark Spector definitely has disassociative identity disorder. And furthermore, he's had it since he was a kid. Hmm. Um, and introduces stories that say Stephen Grant was his imaginary best friend. Wow. And Jake Lockley has been around for a long time and all that kind of stuff. In one in one recent story, um, Mark finally kind of he, he he does an awful lot of kind of he wakes up in a mental hospital. Uh, he has enough of conscious manipulations and the voices in his head and the different personalities and stuff, and he finally kind of like overcomes Conchu, either in his own mind or in reality. And decides to be his own man. Cast out Conchu. I'm my own man. No more Conchu. But then as soon as that writer leaves the comic, <laughs> the very next writer has Mark like do a complete 180 and become now a fully-fledged priest of Conchu, spreading his religion, the religion of Conchu, to, to lost souls. And then there's the insane Moon Knight story, Age of Conchu which forms the basis of our full-length bonus episode for April. Real or delusion in Age of Conchu, that question is answered once and for all with numerous witnesses across the globe (laughs) as Moon Knight wages his one-man war on the Avengers and tries to help his moon god take over the world. Oof. So we've got the lovely Ethan Hawke, who plays obviously what looks well, what really looks like to be the villain of the series. Uh, is this a character from the Moonlight comics? I forgot what his name is. Is it Arthur Harrow? Arthur Harrow. Arthur Harrow. That was it. This is another cold blood situation. Hmm. Do you remember Iron Man three? We realised oh. one of the henchmen <laughs> was based on this super obscure character. They've done who that. Made like ten appearances. Have they done that? Well, Arthur Harrow has only made one appearance. Right. One single appearance in the history of Marvel. And he is the lead villain for this series. Um, So this is during the 85 Fist of Conchu series. Arthur Harrow is a bit of a... bit of a evil lunatic scientist. Um, He's... He, I think he's win. I think he won the Nobel Prize, or he's about to win, selected to win the Nobel Prize in medicine for his work in the field of pain relief. Hmm. Um, he has a nerve condition which pulls the left side of his face down into a permanent snarl. Ooh. Um. However, uh, someone investigates him and basically says, "Ah." All your experiments and procedures in pain relief come about through you using stolen Nazi documents from the awful, horrific concentration camp experiments that were done um, during the Holocaust. Um, These documents, by order of the Nuremberg Committee, were to be destroyed, but... Harrow got his hands on black market copies of them and has been experimenting on human subjects to do all sorts of things with nerves and pain reactions. Moon Knight finds out about this and goes to bust his, bust his crib up 
Um, and Harrow has them attacked by like these brainwashed patients mm. that are tough for Moon Knight to defeat because one, they're innocent people yeah. that have been brainwashed, and two, Harrow has removed their ability to feel any pain. Uh... Also, he has to fight a tiger. Harrow <laughs> has a pet. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Harrow also has a pet tiger or a jaguar. Fantastic. Um, and Moon Knight throws it at a wall and <laughs> breaks its spine. And it doesn't. I mean, Harrow. It doesn't. It doesn't even get like he escapes. He flies off in a, helico- a helicopter, never to be seen again. Um, but yeah, no connection to Konshu. No connection to Egyptian gods. No, no connection to no superpowers. Nothing like that. A one-off single appearance as this, yeah, Nazi influenced doctor, they've, scientist dude. They've done a good job here. So we got May uh, Kalamaway plays uh, archaeologist and adventurer Leila Al Faoli. Uh, how important is she in the original stories? If she is in them, she's not in them. She's not in them. No. Oh no! Like they just pulled she's, a character out of thin air. She's created entirely. I, I think this is yeah. part of them deciding. Um, there was a lot of blowback on Iron Fist for. Remaining faithful to the comic books, yeah, the comic books written in a less enlightened, aware, and a much more ignorant era of the white savior trope, mm. where much like the TV series Kung Fu and stuff, a white guy goes to Asia and becomes the greatest martial <laughs> artist of all time. <laughs> See also Tom Cruise, The Last Samurai. Yeah, um, I think as a result of that. Marvel quite rightly had to have a sit and a think and talk to smart cool people and go maybe when we do these stories that the Moon Knight story has Egypt's intrinsic to like the core of, of its aesthetic and the cool some of the very cool elements of the story it tells hmm. like maybe Egyptian people people of Egyptian descent should be at the core of this story yeah, and I think that's a very smart thing to do, and I think it can only enhance things. It's it, it's great from a cre- it, it, it shows a creative perspective because you think of like Marvel as so. I mean, a lot of people think Marvel as like some kind of uh, American, you know, popcorn fodder, simple as. But they've actually got quite, a, especially with like the Eternals. They was it uh, what was her name again? The director. I don't know. I can't remember the director's name. But yeah. anyway, I don't like how this happens repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, me. what's this? But I don't know, man. I'm sorry. You, you, sorry, so, I'm the ignorant one asking the smart one something, I and think, he doesn't I know. I think I know the. Co- I can ask me about the comic books, and I have the answer. You're the movie guy. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, I think what they've done here is just removed this Mark Spector's like love interest slash partner is Marlene. Mm. Um, and I think what they've done is they've just taken that character and said, well, you know, if we want to have this as a thing that features, you know, people and characters of Egyptian d- descent and, and Egyptian people more prominently, this is one where we could really kind of have a, a, a different take on Mark Spector's um, love interest. Uh, so Marlene in 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 the comics, his love interest is 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 a woman called Marlene. She's the the one that he saves right in the desert, right at the start, when he eventually quote unquote dies, and is 
allegedly resurrected. And as they go up back off to America, she starts to fall in love with Mark Spector. And when he becomes Moon Knight, she she she's his confidant. She's his partner. She encourages the the Moon Knight crime fighting and helps him. Um, and then as once he sets up the Stephen Grant millionaire persona. Marlene is like, oh, I like this guy. I like the rich <laughs> businessman, the high life, the mansion yeah. in Long Island, and the, the 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 limo and the car and everything. And so this weird things happened where Marlene will only refer to Mark Spector as Stephen, hmm. despite the fact she knew Mark Spector first. Yeah, and hates his other hates the Jake Lockley character. Uh, and basically only really essentially considers herself to be in love with Stephen Grant, not Mark Spector. Um, uh, yeah, she just kind of prefers this. And she's she becomes increasingly distressed as Mark's identity issues and quote-unquote schizophrenia or DID become out of hand. Um, and she does do things at times to be involved as he and she goes undercover for him and mm. she does get involved a little bit but i think um layla is a lot more forthright a lot more kind of action orientated a lot more kind of fully fledged equal partner really than marlene ever was yeah that makes sense so uh the late uh unfortunately the late gaspard uh oh, no. yeah, yeah that was that was i mean i've only i didn't know he was in the mcu until I saw him in this role because the only thing I've known him to be in is a film I haven't seen, which is Hannibal Rising, but I've read the book. Uh, he makes he makes an impactful performance as Anton Mogard. What can you tell us about Anton? Oh, very, very different. Um, in, in, the, in the comic books, Anton Mogard is this well-off, well-to-do dude that also goes around stealing jewels and works of art and he's he's just a, like a high high level thief hmm. from exotic locales all around the world and he all, he wears um a, a sleek he wears a costume that looks like almost essentially like moon knight's costume the cape um and and a ma- a full face ma- featureless mask but it's all sleek black hmm. um and he strikes he only ever strikes at midnight which earns him the nickname the midnight man ah by striking at midnight okay and he he does not need money he lives an opulent lifestyle in a mansion he just likes to own things that he can't otherwise get his hands on got to have a hobby um, you got to have a hobby uh, moon knight he gets into a fight with Moon Knight as Moon Knight tries to stop him from burgling someplace and he gets uh, shoved off a high building into the river where it's presumed that he, he drowned. We find out later that he actually gets carried by the current of of the river to, to, to New York to the mouth of this viaduct where like the industrial waste has been pouring through and this industrial waste melts half his face most of his face leaving him horribly deformed he then he then like hides in the sewers um and 
starts to rebuild himself he he discovers that the police know everything everything now and they've taken all of his possessions from his mansion he blames moon knight he vows revenge and he starts to live in the sewers where he collects discarded trash rather than objects of great treasure good Mm. little arc for a for a villain you know good little nice origin story yeah he fights moon knight a couple of times keeps trying to kill him keeps failing he then, as the years go on, discovers that he's dying from cancer, inoperable, no, Ooh. nothing can save him. He tracks down his illegitimate son, Jeff Wilde, um, and he starts to teach him the trade secrets of how to be a thief. But at the same time, he's like, but please don't use this to become a criminal. Um, <laughs> but this is how you fight and, and hide and break into a building and throw the cops off your trail and things like that. Um, he he then has like he wants he wants one last fight with Moon. He basically wants Moon Knight to like kill him, mm. um, or to die in battle, and he pretty much gets his wish. And after he dies, Jeff Wilde, his illegitimate son, takes the alias not of Midnight Man but of just Midnight, mm. and works and for a brief time becomes Moon Knight's sidekick. Um, we get almost like a Nightwing to his Batman. Oh wow. Um. In, in, in that respect, yeah. And uh, it doesn't end terribly well for Jeff. Okay, so actually, on the subject of Batman, I've, and I've seen a lot of people talking about this, uh, is Moon Knight just Marvel's Batman? That's something you kind of have chatted about a couple of times, haven't we, yeah. when we, when we talked about Moon Knight? Yeah. And it's down to the look, I guess. Incredibly. And then I guess there's the idea that he's... Uh, <clears throat> You know, vigilante and stuff. Look, Doug Monch, the co-creator who conceived the character, has always maintained that Moon Knight was never meant to be anything like Batman. And he's been asked this question a lot over the years. (laughs) He did a 2005 interview where he talked about the Batman comparisons, and he said, It didn't really start until I started doing stories with Bill Sienkiewicz. At the time, his art style was heavily influenced by Neil Adams, who was very closely associated with Batman in the 70s. Mm. So I think a lot of that has to do with the way the art looked and that they're both nighttime characters. But Moon Knight had nothing to do with Batman. The costume coming out at night, that was all to do with fighting the werewolf. And that is the assumption that I, Rob Halden, have had about the character. I've always had that assumption about the character. Mm. Like, I will admit, I never saw any Batman similarities in him. I guess because I grew up reading about, like, hundreds or whatever of superhero characters, and dozens and dozens of them have capes and masks and different colours. You know, it just never... Like, the fact that the mask is completely different, I didn't really think... But it just never really, it never really resonated with me. And then seeing and, and hearing all the all of Doug's kind of comments over the years about these these comparisons, saying no, 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 that is the approach that I had and took and and believed about this question. But then, for the research of this episode, <laughs> I read Marvel Spotlight. The first two issues of Moon Knight's first solo adventure. Okay. I'd read 
I'd read that for the first time. I read Wealth by Night issues, and I'd read Moon Knight's first monthly series and other stuff along the time, but I'd never read the Marvel Spotlight issues. And I read the when I read the very first page of Moon Knight as a superhero for the very first time in the 1970s. It was undeniable. <laughs> the way that first page is composed is classic Batman. Yeah. A bunch of balaclava wearing masked dogs trying to break into a warehouse. Suddenly, there's a masked figure perched up on the edge of a, the roof of a building. The thugs all look up to the sky wide-eyed and scared. And one of them says, look, it's that vigilante from the newspapers. It's the Moon Knight. <laughs> and then the Moon Knight swoops down and kicks him in the face. That is classic Batman. It's that is the Batman. Yeah. It's undeniable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and it's weird for me to have done a 180 on this right before we did this episode. Because I was all ready to come in here and be like, no, werewolf character, werewolf hunter. Oh, just a, I'm sorry, Doug. I'm sorry, but you just, you either forgot, because I never know if he remembers that one, because he never talks about, he talks about Moon Knight never having any superpowers. It's there in the, like, the, the third, <laughs> the second thing you wrote about him. He's got werewolf powers. Maybe he doesn't remember that, right? But the way that is constructed and written, the art, everything. In the fir- in that first in that first adventure, he even has a moon copter. Bloody now, hell. I don't think having a helicopter makes having like it's never called the moon copter in the monthly series. I don't think having a small helicopter for transport is a Batman ripoff, but calling it a moon copter, yes, is. Very much nailing your flag to a certain mast, and I've done a 180. So I have to say, whatever else has been done about the character over the years, when he was first turned into a superhero in Marvel Spotlight, I am sorry, Doug, you were 100% trying to do Batman. I think we've answered then, Will, every question you had about Moon Knight, and I would hope every question that the audience has got about Moon Knight, but I'd be really interested into what you're... We're not, we've not finished. The series hasn't ended yet for us. We're kind of halfway through. I'd love to hear your your thoughts, your kind of outsider thoughts on this Disney Plus Moon Knight series. I've seen a few uh, conflicting opinions. It's mostly been positive. Uh, some people say... A friend of mine said it's the weakest one yet, which I was really surprised by. I, I don't think it's the weakest Disney Plus series by far. That's that's hard because they've all been really strong, in my opinion. I've I'm enjoying this more than Loki. Yeah, but it's not like there are a lot of duffers in the in the in the Disney Plus range. If anything, I mean that that could be that could constitute towards everything else being great. But I love it. I loved it from the word go. I really I I, I don't want to jump ahead of myself and say it's the best one yet. Because you know they're, they're, it doesn't tick all the boxes the other ones did, but as as a standalone action adventure, uh, you know if, if you forget everything all the other MCU stuff, I'm just loving it. It's it. I mean, let me put it this way: uh, the first two episodes, it was just non-stop. It was non-stop. It flowed great. It the, the momentum was there. So much happened. And it was great. And then the third episode came along, and the first half of it, 
I sort of went, ah, we're coming up to a lull episode now. It's a lulling episode. But then it pulled it out of the bag in the second half and did even more stuff. And it's just, it, it just feels like it's not slowing down. Yeah, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't I don't I don't think I have a mark against it. I'm really looking forward to the all the next. You know, I'm just looking forward to the rest of it. I'm looking forward to seeing some things perhaps from the comic books get realised. Uh, I don't know. I'm just really invested. Um, so yeah, it's cool. I'm 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 having a great time with it. Um, we'd love to hear what you guys think about Moon Knight. Uh, drop us a line, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail Reading this for this episode. Oh gosh, there's so much because each version is so different. The, I guess the original kind of stuff, uh, Doug Monch and, and Bill Sakevich, uh, you can find that Moon Knight Epic Collection, and it will have Doug Monch's name on it. M O E N C H. Um, there is a grim, violent, psychopathic kind of vigilante reboot of Moon Knight that is in print. That takes place during Marvel Civil War. That's called Moon Knight by Charlie Houston. Charlie Houston is a, a, an author that I adore. Um, he, he wrote this really great kind of series of books called the Joe Pitt Case Books, which I really like, Better Off Dead and Half the Blood of Brooklyn and things like that. And so it was a really big thrill for me when he started writing Moon Knight. Um, it's not to everyone's taste, and a lot of longtime Moon Knight fans don't like it, but it's got some cool interactions with the rest of the Marvel Universe around Civil War, so that's kind of fun. Mm. The um, Moon Knight by Brian Michael Bendis is a collection of that out. That's when he starts becoming Spider-Man and Wolverine and Cap. You might find that fun. Um, then there's the Warren Ellis stuff, which is the most kind of like modern retooling. That's called Moon Knight from the Dead. Um, and you'll see Warren Ellis's name attached to it. Now, the, the, this this TV series, the director and producers cited um, the Lemire and Smallwood um, collection. Uh, or, or retooling or stories on, on Moon Knight, which is called Moon Knight by Lemire and Smallwood. Lemire, L-E-M-I-R-E and Smallwood. Lots of really good art in that. They do an awful lot up around the DID, split personality stuff, despite the fact Warren Ellis kind of getting rid of it. Anyway, but that's, that's out there. That's a collection. So there's a ton of different ways you can get into Moon Knight from different perspectives. In our next episode, mm. as Dr. Dre would say, Will, I'm really excited about this one, and I know you are too. Man, by the time <laughs> we're next with you, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will be in cinemas. You'll all be going yep. out to see it, all be going out to watching it. We'll be doing the same. Well, that gave us an idea. Let's do a Doctor Strange episode. But how, you would say... <clears throat> We're going to go back in time to 1978 and we're going to look at the very first on-screen depiction of Doctor Strange. It's a TV movie from CBS, the TV network in America. <laughs> it is called Doctor Strange Magic's D Demons Wong, the Ancient One. They are all here. The very first Doctor Strange movie in our next episode. Don't miss it. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to like us, rate us, subscribe, leave us five stars. Why not recommend us to a friend that loves Marvel comics and movies? Join us next time as we dive in to the Doctor Strange TV movie from the 70s. And for more Marvel vs. Marvel bonus content, 
head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel.